the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Alligator, starring Robert Forrester, Robin Riker, and Henry Silva. Aren't I enticing you with my exotic alligator mating calls? Oh, is that what you're doing? <laughs> I'm just taking a cue from Henry Silva, man. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. Hi, my name's Henry Silva. I'm here for the paycheck. Hi, I'm Henry Silva. I'm a giant asshole in this movie. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Podcasting After Dark. I am one half of the pad team proper, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. Joined with me, as always, is my brother from another mother, Zach the Total Snackage Schaefer. And that's right. This week, we are breaking down and reviewing the 1980 Not Jaws classic, Alligator. Oh, sorry, wrong movie. I mean, we do get some Jaws like musical cues in this, like we some sure riffs. Do. <laughs> we sure do. But uh, guys and gals, um, I I fast tracked this one because uh, because of Zach picking Vigilante a few weeks ago, put me in a massive Robert Forrester mood, and I was like, you know what? I want to talk about one of my favorite Robert Forrester movies. No, not Jackie Brown. We both love that movie. But uh, Alligator, a movie that I grew up on, um, watched it so much at Luke's house when we were kids. I think I think this might have been one of those, you know, ones where he might have taped it off a TV or taped it off of something. But we had access to it, so we watched it a lot as kids. Um, and then, you know, some time went by, and I hadn't seen it in a long time. And then last year, the Shout Factory uh, Blu-ray came out, and uh, Luke came up to visit, and he brought it with him. And we watched it, and I was like, oh, man, this still holds up, in, in my opinion. So, you know, when, like I said, when Zach brought uh, Vigilante to the table, I was like, I just, I'm in such a Robert Forrester mood right now. So I fast-tracked Alligator, and I'm excited to talk about it with you, man. Uh, what's your experience with this movie? I'm excited to talk about it, too. I haven't seen this film since I was a kid. I think I've probably watched it one time, uh, maybe on Creature Feature Saturday, on TV 20, Thriller. Um, and that's about it. And I can't wait to talk more about Robert Forster's need to t- discuss his hair loss <laughs> in every single movie we've practically have seen him in. Yeah. Like, so who this, cares? This one, um, he mentions it's very minimal, but he does mention it in Vigilante. And of course, he talks about it uh, in Jackie Brown, doesn't he? He sure does. Um, yeah. Three times. Three times is a third time is a charm, apparently. <laughs> He got plugs at that point. You can, you can see the plugs in his head. And, you know, I said this before. God bless the guy. You do whatever the hell you want. As long as it makes you happy and doesn't hurt anybody, who gives 
a damn about it. You know, I'm happy for the guy doing something to make himself feel better about himself. But man, oh man, do they play it up in this one? This is this is definitely the 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 penalty, the ultimate version of him uh, uh, getting blasted on his hair and blasting himself on his hair. Yeah, no, dude. Um, apparently. Uh, these were kind of jokes that he made um, on set and everything, and then um, they kind of just they enjoyed them, and they they just kind of wrote them into um, the the script, you know, and everything. So it was sort of him uh, doing this. So I'm excited to talk about his hair loss at nausea in this movie. I, I love him uh, infinitely as well. So I cannot wait to just you know. Uh, glazes donut, as I like to say. Yeah. So, so your 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 experience of this movie was minimal. Mine was very much a big part of my childhood. So let's uh, let's talk about the 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 writer. Let's jump into to the writer of this movie, dude. Yeah, jump. Uh, John Sales Holy wrote the shit. screenplay. I was actually just talking about John Sales today because John Sales, um, he is known for many respected films like Lone Star, great movie. Yes. Eight Men Out, great movie. Brother from Another Planet, great movie. Um, I mean, the list, he, he's, he's kind of like one of those indie writers who, indie writer directors who, who just, like, he does, he does what he likes to do. Uh, and, and he's damn good at it. Like city of hope is another good one. Passion fish. Like he's done a lot of really good quiet films. Um, and then on top of just, it, like, I always yeah. think of the howling as a Joe Dante movie, but he wrote the script for that too. He did. He, and he wrote the script for a movie called the challenge, a cool, uh, like samurai flick with Scott Glenn. Um, I believe he directed the music, couple music videos for Bruce Springsteen, um, I think he did. Uh, I believe it was like, what was it? Glory days or, uh, I'm on fire and glory days and born in the USA. Yeah. Now, would you say, uh, John Sayles script, um, maybe elevates this movie a little bit, especially with some of the, the, the more interesting characters that he adds to it? Yes, absolutely. I think, I think one of the strongest parts of this movie is the writing. Agreed. Not the special effects. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's it has its charm for sure. The special effects. Oh, do, it's but no, it, it's it, so much fun. Yeah, no, it, this is one of those movies where it could easily have been a giant piece of shit. But you have awesome actors and you have a fantastic writer. Um, we'll talk about the director in a second, but like, I think you have these all, all these little micro elements that really bring this movie up. What could have been just sea level garbage. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think the director is a accomplished director, too, and he's actually done a lot of really good movies and some stinkers that are worth watching anyways. <laughs> like Jewel of the Nile? <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say Collision Course with Pat Morita and Jay Leno. If you haven't seen that movie, you, you're in for a treat. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Cat's Eye. Cat's Eye is really good. I like Cat's Eye, um, and... Have you ever seen Cat's Eye? Yes. Yep. Yep. The little, yes. uh, yep. The little creature thing. Um, Navy Seals. Navy Seals. Can I say that? I mean, the pedigree in that movie with Michael Bean and Bill Paxton. I wanted to love that movie as a kid. Same. I never quite did. And same. 
Okay. Yeah, it's really my 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 dad's a Navy SEAL and he did not like that movie. So uh I've heard it's not very accurate. It's just a letdown. It's like you it's kind of like the Expendables movie. You're like look at you got all this great A talent. Rick Rossovich is in it. Uh Bill Paxton is in it. Charlie Sheen is in it. Come on. And and you make this? Yeah. Like yeah, I could have. Expendables was the same way. I remember so excited to see the Expendables. Went to the theater and saw it. And I'm like, ooh, you know, we we um we interviewed uh, the writer of the Expendables Part Two because he wrote um, Vamp. Yeah. Or, sorry, wrote and directed Vamp. Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, whose name is escaping me right now for some reason. <laughs> I'll pull it and, up so people don't go crashing their car. But keep talking. Um. Yeah. And and you know. Like, Expendables Part Two was better, it, but I—that's I, I, truthful. Yeah, still not that great. But uh, better. Richard Wank. We uh, yeah, Richard we actually, Wank. We interviewed him. Yeah, like Zach said. Um, yeah, I, man, The Expendables again. Another one I wanted to love, never quite did. Number two was infinitely better than the first one, but then number three was trash. I was like, what is happening with this series? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I blame Stallone. I blame Stallone. Yeah, dude. I, we actually had this discussion on the $2 late fee, uh, trivia. Um, so go check that out on YouTube guys and gals. It's up right now. Um, we actually posted, uh, it's, it's on $2 late fees, uh, YouTube page, but we actually posted also to the pad Patreon, uh, for free. You can, you know, it's not behind the paywall, so you can easily find it that way too. But we do have some slight, uh, Sylvester Stallone discussion and expendables as well. Yeah, come on. Chuck Norris is wearing a hat that says like Lone Wolf on it or Wolf or something. I'm like, what? Give me a break. Just give me a break with those fucking movies, man. Come on. Anyways, let's talk about Alligator. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Louis Teague, you know, he's an accomplished director. He's done some good stuff and he's done some uh, meh stuff. He's done Jewel of the Nile, a horrible fucking movie. Oh, man, that, again, it should have been... You don't need to make a sequel to Romancing the Stone. No, no, that movie's damn near perfect as it is. It is perfect. Oh, my God. Uh, If we were just breaking down any movie for shits and giggles, that would be one to break down. That would be a good one. And, uh, you know, because we're not really going to talk about too many other people behind the scenes, but let's mention the fact that this is one of Brian Cranston's first movies. He worked as a PA on the set, and then I believe um, he, Robert Forster was in Breaking Bad, even though I've never seen it, but uh, that was, they <clears> kind <throat> of had a re, um, you know, a reunion on that movie, on that show as well. Yeah, he was on the the tail end of that series, and then he was in the El Camino movie, okay. I believe, that came out. Okay. Um, I don't know if he was in Better Call Saul. He might have been, but I'll say again, I think I said it on the Vigilante episode, you know, he hit some rough, he hit some rough times as many actors in Hollywood do where you can't get a gig and Quentin Tarantino, you know, saved him literally, uh, from, you know, a career of just, uh, wearing bad tan makeup and playing a bad guy in Delta Force, um, so, you know, he's Quentin Tarantino yet again, resurrects another career like he did for John Travolta. And, um, I think Robert Forster was, you know, incredibly indebted to him, uh, for doing that. And I dare I say, moving forward after Jackie Brown, 
some of his best performances were on screen, you know, so yeah. whether it was indie movies, but he just had a very long career after Jackie Brown and prior to that. But if you look at his overall career prior to Jackie Brown, after, I don't know, the mid eighties, it just started getting rough. You know, when you're playing like a, uh, you know, middle Eastern terrorist in Delta force, uh, you've hit the you're bottom. a white guy from <laughs> Chicago, you're probably not, you know, you're not Fisher Stevens in uh, Short Circuit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people love to talk about Fisher Stevens in Short Circuit and give him shit and throw him under the bus for that, which he doesn't deserve at all. But people don't bring up the fact that Robert Forrester played played a, a terrorist in Delta Force. So, sure, you know. <laughs> I mean, a- actors are just working. They're just trying they're to just get working. paid. You like, know? Who, they, who they gives have, a shit? They have no say. Gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, he was good in it. I, he was really good in Delta Force. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. And if this is your you know, your first time tuning into the show, um, Zach and I have mentioned multiple times before, but Jackie Brown is both of our favorite uh, Tarantino films. And uh, if this is your first time listening, go check out the Vigilante episode. I think that these would be a good back-to-backer, a good uh, double feature. I love when Robert De Niro blasts Bridget Fonda because <laughs> she's being annoying. He's just annoyed with her. I know. He's blast her. <laughs> so fucking funny. Oh, that movie's that movie's fucking great, man. <laughs> it's so subtle. It's so subtle and cool. Yeah. Yeah. I used to have posters of all the got all the actors, like one sheets of oh. just the actors. Yeah. On my walls. That's so awesome. So Robert Forrester, uh, Pam Greer, Robert De Niro, uh, uh, Michael Keaton, you know, it's so anyways. And of course, don't forget across 110th street is a fucking great fucking song. Oh, that soundtrack is amazing. Yep. Yep. And of course, Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, my man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just waiting for you to continue with the cast. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yes. So yeah, Robbie, Robbie force, uh, and Robin Riker. She plays Marissa Kendall. Yeah. Um, Robin Riker. I honestly, I was like, do I recognize her from something? Because she looks really familiar. Uh, she's great in this, by the way. I think she's fantastic in this. I, I really love her character. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't really recognize her from other things, but she's been on a lot of television shows from yeah. Bones and Big Love and The Closer and Boston Legal and NCIS, like yada yada yada. Working actor. Um, you know longevity for sure so I, I thought she was really good in this yeah me too and it wasn't until last year when i was watching you know re-watching this that i was like oh crap i used to have a crush on her when i was younger because of this movie and because i hadn't seen it in like 35 years i kind of forgot about her because like you said she kind of doesn't She's been working a lot, but nothing in stuff that you and I sort of watch. But I was like, oh, I forgot how much I liked Robin Riker. And not just obviously visually, but like I think she is awesome in this movie. I think I think she does a lot of I think she does a lot more work than her character maybe was originally intended to. But she adds a lot of value to this movie. Agreed. Agreed. And and, and she actually has been in a bunch of shows that I'm sure will show up on TV Obscura <laughs> at some point. She was in Misfits of Science, but uh, Riptide for one. Yep. Um, TV show called Brothers, which I, I would love to bring up at some point. Um, and Doctor Doctor with uh, Steve uh, with uh, Matt Furr from. Uh, you were just I talking brought- about Doctor Doctor. 
Yep, I was I brought that up on the latest Territory Marks episode that I did for two dollar late fee. And the famous Teddy Z. I want to talk about that one down the road too. Man, she's she's like TV obscura royalty. She sure is. <laughs> you know, another person who's obscura royalty is Michael V. Gazzo, who plays Chief Clark. Michael V. Gazzo, I think I'm gonna just talk like this the rest of the episode and really mess up my voice. Dude, I um, love him in this movie, man. He's great. He's great. This guy, he's like a char- you know, he's a character actor. Uh, he's been in a bunch of cool movies. Uh, he was in Fear City, which is an Abel Ferrara film, which I really want to... Shout Factory put it out at one point, and then as they do with everything, they pulled it. So now it goes for like $500 on eBay. Forget those guys. But I really want to uh, talk about Fear City down the road because that movie is an Abel Ferrara underrated gem, in my opinion. Now, um, can we bring... looks like he was in a TV show, a uh, short-lived 13-episode TV show called Partners in Crime with uh, Linda Carter and Lonnie Anderson. Can we bring that one to TV Obscura? Of course we can. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we, we have to. We have to. I, oh, my God. I, I mean, I, they talk about another two crushes from the 80s, fucking Linda Carter and Lonnie Anderson. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we have to. Yeah, we, have we do. To. <laughs> we do. Um, he was also in Auto Man, which we yes. will have to talk about at some point. Yes, dude. Yes. Oh my God. So much. So much TV obscura in this alligator episode. And first in ten, by the way, I love that show back in the day, the football show. We have to talk about that on TV Obscura. <laughs> we have to talk about everything. Um, this episode has just becoming a TV Obscura watch list, <laughs> right? Playing Jag is Dean Jagger. Uh, Dean Jagger is a, like a legendary actor from the 1950s up until while well, he passed away in the 1991 at the age of 87. Um, he to me, been in, he will yeah. always be. The General from White Christmas. Uh, I love that movie. Um, I watch it pretty much every year. Um, I even saw a a um, a play, you know, it, it in play form at the Kennedy Center in D.C. one year with my mom. But White oh. Christmas, man, I fucking love that movie. And he played the Major General who they, it, like, they go and try to, uh, you know, save his um, ski resort because it does, it's not snowing and he's going to lose it. And then they put on this giant play to sort of save his resort. Is his name Major General? Yeah, he's just yeah, he's just called the Major General in it. Yeah, I would I would love my name to be Major Awesome Man. <laughs> I mean, he does have a last name, but they just re- a lot of times just refer to him as the Major General, and they even have a, oh, got a whole song. But his his name is was Waverly Major General Waverly. So I love it. Yeah, I have you it. have you ever seen White Christmas? I've never seen White Christmas. So. Guys and gals, I pretty much listened to Bing Crosby exclusively throughout December. Ever since I was a kid, I've always loved Bing Crosby at Christmas time and in White Christmas, obviously, you know. And now you'll listen exclusively to Sweet Gingerbread Man yes. by Sammy Davis Jr. Yes, dude. And and the the, the warm side of the door uh, from... Of course you do. Of course you do. Uh, you know someone who gives me uh, disgusting don't go <laughs> in rooms alone with him vibes is uh, Sidney Lassick, who plays Luke Gutchell. Yep. This guy looks like somebody you just like, if he invited you into the back room of his comic book store, you'd probably want to say, no, I'm going to pass. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's he's just kind of, I don't know. He's always giving me the creeps in every role he's been in. He's just kind of, kind of weirds me out. I'm sure, who knows? Who knows if he's, who knows what kind of man he is. But um, <laughs> He gives you those Gordon human. Jumps vibes, right? He gives me some serious Gordon Jump vibes. But uh, he's been in everything from One Flew or the Cuckoo's Nest to Carrie to Freeway to Deep Cover. If you've never seen Deep Cover, go watch that movie. It's awesome. With uh, Lawrence Fishburne, um, Jeff Goldblum, it's badass. You got a Bill Duke directed it. Go I watch it. I saw it back in the day with my dad, but I haven't probably came out ninety two. Probably haven't seen it since VHS in ninety three. You know. Oh, you should rewatch it. Uh, Criterion put out a beautiful version. Okay. Okay. Very cool. And uh, by the Jeff, way, guys oh, and gals, not to disparage Gordon Jump like in general. When we say that, we're referring. <laughs> To the uh, the different strokes episode in particular. Thanks for clarifying yeah. for because you know there's one guy out there. Don't be smirched, Gordon Jump. He was great on WKRP in Cincinnati. Well, yeah. Hey, I it's grew the character. up on. You once you play a pervert. Oh boy. <laughs> once a pervert, always a pervert. Well, and yeah, I also grew up on WKRP in Cincinnati as well. Do you know that guy uh, Lenny Von Dolan? Lenny Von Dolan was in um, Twin Peaks. He was in a movie called, oh, God, uh, Electric Dreams with um, Virginia Madsen. Uh, you'd recognize his face if you saw him. Yeah. Really cool, really good actor. Uh, but he was on a, a like a TV movie or after school special uh, where he played like he molested a little kid. And it's just he's so creepy. Like He's like the uncle or something. And it, ever since then, I'm like, every time I saw Lenny Van Dolan, I was like, nope, nope, nope. He was he was in an after school special. Uh, I forget the, the title of it, but it was so, so creepy. Um, I'm looking it up now. And yeah, I Lenny Van Dolan, unfortunately, Pat shit passed away last year. I know. Uh, yep, he did. yep. I absolutely recognize him. I, I know who he is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. um I forget what's it was like from 1985. Um, it was called, oh, it's called Don't Touch. Teenager babysitting a young girl discovers that she's being molested by a family friend. Jeez. <laughs> it's a really good episode because uh, a friend wants to, a friend who wants to get close to Molly, too close. Don't touch. Some secrets are too dangerous to keep. I mean, obviously, these these were made to educate kids and people about, like, stranger danger. Yeah. Even if it's your friend, you know. Lenny Van Dolan played uh, the, the molester in that. Played the danger. <laughs> he played the danger. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, I know. Sorry, for, I didn't mean to go off on a rant on that, but. <laughs> no, it's, it's just all the people that have Gordon Jump vibes. Yes. Um, you know who doesn't have Gordon Jump vibes but has like uh well if you guys watch the session, he's got he's got Greg vibes written all over him. Jack Carter plays the mayor where he's just kinda like a hey, I wanna I wanna be a part of the fun. Can I be a part of the fun? <laughs> like that well, like that one scene when to... Slade is like talking about smoking hickory and it's one of my keeps, favorite scenes in the movie. Him, I'm like, what so, the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I should do that. Yeah. <laughs> we all have that one friend or not friend. We have that one person in our lives who's invited to parties. Maybe you're you like invite him because he's like the sympathy vote. Oh, I'm just gonna this guy, you know. And that person's always walking up into conversations. Oh yeah, I totally do that too. And you're like, 
do what? You weren't even a part of that conversation, dude. <laughs> Anyways, I love that guy. He was in History of the World Part 1. He was a rat vendor. Oh, <laughs> That's okay. That's for that. <laughs> love that movie, by the way. Uh, did you see the sequel that they just put out on Hulu? On Hulu? No. Uh-uh. I assumed it was crap, but it may have been good. I, I didn't watch it, though. Yeah, me neither. Uh, Perry Lang plays Officer Jim Kelly. One of my favorite characters in this movie. He's not yeah. in it for very long, but I think he's super memorable with how he's just so the way he delivers his lines. He kind of has this devil may care attitude mixed with like, you know, young guy gusto. And uh, I, I, I even as a kid, I, I always liked him and spoil alert. I never wanted his character to die. I thought he was great. Me too. At first, I'm like, Jim Kelly, you mean the martial artist from uh, Enter the Dragon and Black Belt Jones? No. <laughs> um, yeah, me too. I loved him. I first saw him in Eight Men. I first remembered him in the movie Eight Men Out, uh, the Black Sox scandal uh, directed, written and directed by John Sayles. So there you go. There's a connection there. Yeah. He was also uh, he in was an episode in... of Monsters, which is a show that we covered on TV Obscure uh, a couple of Halloweens ago, I think. And he was also yeah. in Jacob's Ladder. Yes, he he's actually been in a lot of really fun films. So uh, congrats to him for having a good career. Jacob's Ladder's one that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Um, and when I watched it, it came out in 1990. Again, probably VHS, so 91, I'm guessing. Scared the hell out of me. And one of those movies where like, I kind of been too scared to go and rewatch it. it. It sort of scared me so much as a kid. Yeah, I remember I, I was... I have mixed feelings about it because it was one of those like, oh, it was all in his head. It was psychological. And right. I'm like, oh, why? Why can't it? Why does it have to be psychological? I just I don't like psychological thrillers because they're not horror. If it's not real, it's not horror. It's it's a thriller. You know, it's in your head, in my opinion. Yeah, because isn't it the whole point of it at the end of it? It's it's like he was back in Vietnam on the, the like the operating table dying or something. So essentially the entire movie is just his, you know last final thoughts going through his brain essentially yeah i think so it was a whole a dream you know I'm like no don't don't go there such a cop-out that's actually the biggest fucking cop-out in movies ever it was just a dream yeah weak <laughs> oh shamalama ding dong made a career off of that <laughs> yes, um, yes he did uh, la- last one i'll mention is henry silva who plays Big Dick Energy. Uh, no. <laughs> Colonel Colonel Brock. Um, Henry Silva. Two two roles, three roles, really, that stand out to me. Uh, one, the general in Megaforce, of course. Of course. Ace! <laughs> uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch Megaforce. If you don't watch Megaforce... Something seriously wrong with you if you don't watch Megaforce. <laughs> um, and uh, he plays Duke in that. Oh, hey, Duke. I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. <laughs> um, you love that. My man. other favorite role of his, uh, other two favorite roles in Above the Law, Zagon or Zagon, so evil in that. And he gets a great comeuppance by the hands of Steven Seagal. And Ghost Dog. If you've never seen Ghost Dog. Great movie. Terrific film. Yep. Anyways, I love Henry Silva. What do you think about Henry Silva? 
Yeah, no, I've, I've never ever beef with him. I hate his character in this movie. I think he's he's pure garbage. Um, I mean, just, <laughs> I think I, that's on purpose. Yeah, no, yeah, yes. It, it's not like his. It's not Henry Silva is not pure garbage. It's Colonel Brock is is a piece of shit, um, which is great. He does a great job as as that character. Um, I always remember him from uh, Dick Tracy as well because um, he kind of has that face. Um, I kind of want to see that movie again. It's been a while since I've seen it. Maybe I should watch it again. I watched it within the last, I think, 15 years. Uh, I, I still I enjoyed it, but I'm with you. I could probably do with another rewatch, you know, a yeah. modern one. Yeah, yeah. And Henry Silva died last year at the age of 95. God bless him. God bless him. But to kind of, you know, tack on what you're saying, Ghost Dog is a great fucking movie. And if you've never seen it, go check it out. I really like that movie. Um, yeah, and real yeah. quick, I just I just wanted to call out Bart <laughs> Braverman, who plays Kemp, um, uh, reporter Kemp. He was in an episode of Good versus Evil. That was another show that Zach brought to TV Obscura. But he had been around like like as a kid actor because he was like in like two million miles to Earth and whatnot. So he he's been, he had been acting for a long time. Uh, born in forty six, he's still uh, still alive to today. But uh, Good versus Evil, man, that was a fun show when we talked about it. Oh God! I hope that I hope that comes out on um, Blu-ray someday. Please. Good versus evil, also known as G versus E. That's kind make of what it it's happen. more known by. Yeah, make it so happen, please. Make it happen. Yeah, buddy. Well, are you ready to make alligator happen? Dun dun Big rips to Bobby Brazel Brazel or Brazel in the beginning of this movie. Big rips. Big, Big rips. rips to him. Let's jump into Gator, not to be confused with Burt Reynolds' Gator, not to be confused with Gator Bait, Gator Bait, not to be confused with Ali McBeal. Let's get into some Alligator. It lives 50 feet beneath the streets. It's 36 feet long. It weighs over 2,000 pounds. And it's about to break out. You're looking at the one who saw it. And it was big. You said it was dark. Now, perhaps you were mistaken. half that size would starve in a week. He kept coming up with some garbage about alligators in the sewers. Alligators in the sewers? Once it escaped, there was no way to stop it. The public is my job. It could be anywhere. There he is. Ready to attack at any moment. Well, I've seen what this animal can do. You'd better take all the help you can get. Thank <laughs> you. 
believed it. Now, no one will forget Alligator. The movie starts on a close-up shot of an alligator with the title over top its face. We then see a man try to sneak up on the reptile, and it quickly swings its head around and snaps at him. The man jumps back into some swampy water, and the camera pulls back to reveal a crowd of people watching. The announcer says, whoa, and you thought that was just an old dead log lying there. I tell you, these gators are mean. They're real. And by the way, folks, you can get your own genuine Florida baby alligator and other souvenirs at the concession stand. Come on, baby, get him at the concession stand. Uh, if he had a little lisp, I'd think he was American Dream Dusty Rose, baby. <laughs> the American Dream, baby. <laughs> I love Dusty Rose. <laughs> uh, we see a young girl in the crowd watching very intently as the man goes back up to the alligator to grab it. Unfortunately, his foot gets caught in a log and he falls into the water. This causes the alligator to attack the man's leg and twist it around violently. The crowd and the little girl watch in horror as the man's leg is practically ripped off at the knee. Now that's a show! Uh, and it's also a great way to open the movie and remind you that this is not a PG or PG-13 film. This is a rated R movie. Rated R. Rated R for row. <laughs> for row. Two other alligator wranglers come running to the man's aid, beating the reptile with wooden clubs. All the while, the announcer is telling everyone to stay calm that everything is under control. The man is carried out of the water and through the crowd. His leg is practically dangling off. The announcer goes on, Well, now we promised you gator wrestling, folks, and sometimes gators win. The little girl is watching everything very intently. Now, we find out later, and it should be noted, you know, at this point, that this is uh, Marissa, Dr. Marissa Kendall as a kid. It is. And that guy who got his leg bit off is Bobby Brazil or Bobby Brazel. <laughs> it is. Big rips to Bobby Brazel's leg. Big you know rips. what? I, I think he's probably dead because that muddy water is probably going to give him some kind of septic shock or something. I don't know, dude. Like those guys on uh, Lion King or Tiger King or whatever you know, Scarecrow, Mrs. King show, that show on Netflix. This guy's got their legs bit off, their arms ripped off. They all seem to survive, so. This is true. You're, you're not they wrong. They just cut higher. They <laughs> just cut higher on it. <laughs> they just tie it off and cut higher, <laughs> like like the Civil War. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Just follow your dreams, man. Follow your dreams. If you want to get your leg bit off by an alligator, just go for it, man. Go for it. Uh, I got it. By the way, real quick, I got to call it out. Uh, as I was driving Meyer to work, there was like this old, one of those like 1950s style campers, you know, like the sort of the cool ass old bullet style, but it was, it was baby blue. On the side of it was a giant, it looks like a decal because it was kind of coming off, but it was huge. And it was Mr. T riding a unicorn and it said, follow your dream, fools. <laughs> amazing. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is that is amazing. I loved it. I sure, like, it wasn't the drugs from your dentist appointment. <laughs> might have been. Might have been. No, Myra. Myra could uh, could corroborate. She saw it as sure, well. Sure, sure, wasn't the drugs she took for you. <laughs> touche, touche. <laughs> uh, cut to the same little girl looking at tiny baby alligators in a cage. She picks out the one she wants to take home with her, uh, but mom protests that they are vicious animals. The dad asks, "What about when it grows up?" The little girl says she'll give it to a zoo. 
She picks one of the baby alligators out of the cage and says she'll call it Ramon. We see the little girl and her family drive past a Welcome to Missouri, the Show Me State sign, on the way. So, guys and gals, this movie is pretty much all filmed in Los Angeles. Um, and there are a few times that I'm like, well, clearly that's MacArthur Park or something from out of the dark and everything. But it's supposed to be Missouri. I used to have a boss at Tower Records named Arlo Sellers. And whenever you would ask him where he's from, he'd go, Missouri. The show me state. And he put his arms out like the show me state. I, I don't know. This is the way he said it. I loved it. I don't understand. What does that mean? What is the show me state? I don't get it. Uh, well, Gordon Jump will show you. <laughs> way to bring it back. Good job, buddy. Hey, hey, Corey. Corey, how old are you? Uh, are you under 18? Yes. Oh, good, good. Uh, can I show you something? Why did you want to know if I was under 18? Oh, uh, never mind, never mind. For people of a certain age, like us, in the, their mid-40s, um, that episode is burned into our fucking memories. I wish that guy got eaten by an alligator. I by know. Ramon. Ramon! <laughs> hey, I don't, I don't ma- it doesn't matter whether she comes, stays, lays, or prays. It's all about eating people in the sewers. I'm not gonna lie to you. When so the alligator's name is gonna be Ramon, and I always Ramon! I always think of in my head that's who is the voice of the alligator. Damon. Yeah. Damon. Yeah. 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 Hey, don't be a wuss. What's a wuss? Part wimp, part pussy. Exactly, dude. That's a line from Fast Times Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, if you if you don't know what we're talking about, and it's funny because his name is Damon. But in my head, that's literally what the voice of Ramon would be, you know? See that See that dog over there, Rat? I'm going to eat it. <laughs> I'm going to fucking eat it. <laughs> Scalper. <laughs> I, I'm just glad we moved away from the Gordon Jump uh, uh, segment. As, oh, I, as I'm about to say this sentence, back in the little girl's bedroom, she puts the baby alligator into a dry oh, fish tank. <laughs> She, tells, <laughs> she tells the little reptile that they have to go to bed now because she has school tomorrow. Cut to the next day, and the mom is listening to the radio. Uh, the city of Chicago remains in chaos this morning. Hundreds of writers disrupted the 1968 Democratic Convention, clashing with Mayor Daley's police force last night. So that gives you an idea, because this movie is you know takes place in 1980, but it gives you an idea as to where we are right now, which is 12 years prior. And I know you have a little factoid about Robert Forrester. I sure do, because in 1968, he did a movie called Medium Cool, which is set in during an actual footage shot of the the riots in Chicago. In Chicago, and Robert Forrester starred in Robert Forrester. Robert Forrester starred in that as like a reporter or cameraman or something. Um, Haskell Wexler directed it. It's a very like, it's an, it's a, it's a film school movie. Like if you've gone to film school or taken any sort of film classes, they always cite that film. They always cite that film as like a very important film to be a very important film to see. You always cite that film, Frost. You always cite it and say it's a very important film. <laughs> I do. <laughs> that was an Aliens reference. Um, didn't I think you might have brought it up on the Vigilante episode when we were talking about Robert Forrester. I think you brought up Medium Cool then, too. I might have, yeah. So it's so interesting that they bring up the 68 
uh, Democratic convention, convention yeah. in Chicago when this movie takes place in Missouri. Yeah. Well, or is, she, or is, she, is she supposed to live in Chicago? I don't know. Like, so, and they also mentioned It's just that, on the news, right? Yeah, I, I think that's just on the news. Because, um, yeah. I, and then, like, he's from St. Louis, you know, at some point. Or he did, yeah. I actually don't quite know where this city's supposed to take place proper. Like, when we actually get into the city um, in, in this movie, in the body of the movie, I don't know where we're actually supposed to be. I assume Missouri, but I don't know, like, what city in Missouri we're supposed to be in. Yeah, it's not a knock on the movie itself, but that is a little disjointed, like yeah. location wise, because whether in Florida, real life Florida Gator, or they at, just at a swamp place in Missouri where they had real Florida Gators, and, and they just call them "quote unquote" Florida Gators. It kind of gives this gives this movie an any town USA type of vibe, even any though it's town USA, <laughs> which is a reference to Seinfeld, Kramer. Um, oh, it's no, it's from it's from the experts with John Travolta and Ari Gross. Okay, well, I'm referencing Kramer and Seinfeld. Oh. <laughs> hey, Corey, you want to? Want to see my arcade games? <laughs> Go away, Gordon Jump. <laughs> so just then, the dad comes storming in, yelling for Marissa. The mom says she's at school at the science fair. The dad runs over to the empty aquarium and grabs the baby alligator. The mom asks what he's going to do with it. He says he's going to get rid of it. He's sick of the alligator turds behind the clothes hamper. The dad takes the little guy upstairs to the bathroom and flushes it while the mom asks what they're going to tell their daughter. The dad says they'll tell her they found it dead. We see the baby alligator go down the drain and land in the sewer below. So that was a pretty strong cold open to the movie. Well, it wasn't really cold open, but a strong opening to the film. A strong opening to the film. Um For some reason, it reminded me of Silent Night, Deadly Night in that opening of like, this is going to get dark. We're going to get really dark really fast. The dad is such a jerk. And you're like, where are we going with this? Oh, this poor, this poor little cute Ramon. Ramon is so cute. And this little girl is going to come home being heartbroken. Which they don't really talk about after that. But And I didn't know why the dad was so angry until I watched it with subtitles. Because I couldn't pick up him saying the, the alligator turds behind the... The hamper. I was like, "Why is he so mad? He knows that she bought it. Like she, he was there." But I, I, it was with the subtitles that I saw the alligator turd thingy, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's the motivation. same." Because he kind of like says it so he says it so quickly, yeah. or he mumbles it. It just it's kind of yeah. But, I was like, but still, so it's a solid. Mad, you know, yeah, dude, chill down, yeah. as Bodie would say, chill down. <laughs> Cut to a pet store in the valley. That's supposed to be Missouri, but it's clearly the Valley. Yeah, it's like Ventura Boulevard in Sherman Oaks. Yeah, totally. Fucking circa probably late 1979, I guess. Yeah. The heyday. We see a title card that says 12 years later, so that's cool. Inside the pet store, Detective David Madison, played by Robert Forrester, is picking out a puppy to buy. He takes the little guy up to the store owner and asks how much. The store owner, a balding man named Luke Guchel, played by Sidney Lassick, looks at David's head and says that he knows what he's going through. David asks what he's looking at. The patch <laughs> on the back, the thinning in the front. You know what I mean. He points to his own head and says, same thing. <laughs> they're not the same, by the way. No, they're not. It's like a guy looking at Pedro Pascal 
with the mustache. It's like George Costanza growing a mustache yes. and looking at Pedro Pascal and saying, we look the same. We're look, the same. Same mustache. <laughs> we both got mustaches. We're, we look identical. God. No. I'm glad you brought it back to Seinfeld. I tried for you. Thank you. You're Detective welcome. Madison says, okay, sure. And he hands the clerk 16 bucks for the dog, which is remarkably cheap. Uh, he goes on, had another one. They swiped him out in front of a grocery store. They hold on. They swiped him out in front of the grocery store. Nap. Zach can do it better than me. I can't do it. Uh, it must have been in there too. I must have been in there two minutes. And bingo, the pet store owner says that sure goes on a lot around this neighborhood. Did you call the cops? Madden, Madison says, "I am the cops." He I sa- am the cops. I'm from Chicago, even though this is Missouri. I'm from Chicago. Okay. <laughs> Emphasize on the A's. He says the one that got snatched name was Snaps. Then his beeper goes off and he says, duty calls. Now, it's funny that he mentions that the first dog's name was Snaps because later when he introduces Marissa to this dog at his apartment, this dog's also named Snaps. So he's one of those guys like in The Simpsons, like Snowball. When Snowball dies, they just name it Snowball 2, Snowball 3, Snowball 4. <laughs> I think when uh, our fish died our fish when we got a that was like our first family pet and i think we, we were talking about getting a new one potentially and i think Bodie was like wanting to name it the same thing maybe it's just something to do with having a small brain or, or a coping mechanism oh yeah but i mean Bodie was like you know little so. sure sure no, i get it you're not knocking Bodie, but like and I'm for knocking... me i've never dug that like i've always been like well it's a different pet it's a different creature it's a different like entity don't give it the same name you know let it have its own voice it's so weird right so you're with me on that right of course i am it's weird (laughs) it's like if you have a child it dies and you name your next child that child's name no i'm kidding that's horrible i can't believe i just said that me neither that's dark let's move on Cut to the city's sewer works building, and we see workers and police officers using nets to fish for evidence in the water tanks. We see Detective Madison and the coroner examine a severed arm they found. He asks the doctor if they found anything else. He says, yeah, a lasa opso uh, floating in the same sludge tank. Madison asks, is that some kind of pooch? The doc says it's is that a, some kind of pooch. Hey, is that some kind of pooch? From, I'm from Chicago. Okay, is that from some kind of pooch? That's is that your 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 Robert Forster warm up? You always have to say I'm from Chicago. Like how you always have to say something that kind of gets <laughs> yeah. you into it. It's my you know? lead in. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta. Yeah, it's like a a a. I'm talking about a. Emphasize on the a. <laughs> Chicago. Ma- Madison asks, is that some kind of pooch? it's pretty good thanks yours is still better the doc says it's a breed of dog and they have a line on who the owner might be a police officer walks in and yells for homicide detective madison says that's i'm from chicago that's me (laughs) (laughs) it works it does i know (laughs) Uh, and the officer tells him the chief wants to talk to him outside the lady that owns the dog is here as the doctor is sealing up the severed arm, he says, we got a big toe in the morgue once. Nothing else. Just a big toe. Never found the rest of them, but we figured out who it was. Had a, had a funeral and everything. Detective Madison looks at him and says, Must have been a pretty small casket. Cut to outside and Chief Clark. Uh, well, Mike- I, I just want to really, really quickly comment on the fact that the scene is over the top. 
gore-wise because you're just like severed stuff, you know. But it's cool, like it's by the book, you know. He's got his gloves on. He's he's examining it. It's not. It's looking very. It's like totes profesh, as the kids would say. And later, when he kind of figures out like that, the foot um, that we'll find out kind of doesn't match the same guy uh, uh, with the arm because of how they trim the nails. And we'll get to that in a second. I like how they make him a detective and he actually detects shit, you know? Yeah, this is like, uh, it's got more of the, like, by the book, uh, law and order type crap. Yeah, it does. It's, Zach's broken. He can't uh, he can't break out of the Chicago accent, so I think nope. he's just got to keep it going. <laughs> I, you know, every episode I gotta have something. This is it. I gotta. It's, it's gotta be my thing. You know, I gotta. I can't just go into it like cold, talking like a normal person. I gotta have a like a, a shtick. If we're only about fifty minutes in, and we broke Zach already. <laughs> I was broken. Cut to outside, and Chief Clark, played by Michael V. Gazzo. Is explaining yeah. to is explaining to Detective <laughs> Madison as they walk that he uh, he he checked it out and there's only three of that dog breed registered in the whole state. Uh, this lady reported it lost two months ago. Madison asks what kind of shape it is it now. Chief says the body hasn't decomposed a bit, but all the internal organs have been cut out clean as a whistle. Larynx larynx cord has been cut too oh i can't do that voice for very long <laughs> you do that and your uh your vocal career will be over in no time it's gonna be shat i can i can feel my vocal cords already frying jesus oh. i'm like what did that guy gargle with cat litter and grape nuts dude aren't his, they the same thing his voice is is amazing it, uh, it's amazing and by the way i love grape nuts me too me too. I love them, but do you like grape nuts? You gotta let them get mushy a little bit, right? Um, I like. Or do you like eating them hard? I like eating them when they're just like put into the into the um, milk. I like crunchy cereal, but in, in a lot of milk, and I gotta eat it quickly so it doesn't get mushy. Well, see, this is interesting because I like I like crunchy cereal, but I don't like crunchy grape nuts. Ah. I like mushy grape nuts. Okay, that's almost I like to pour a shit ton of sugar on them too back in the day. It's almost like oatmeal at that point. Yeah, pretty much. And I love that oatmeal. Yeah, me too. Oats and flax. Oats and flax, baby. Do you like cream of wheat? <laughs> no. You don't like cream of wheat? No. Uh-uh. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, we can just talk back and forth in Chicago and, and an old man voice. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, that's killing me, man. At the back of the truck, an older lady is looking at the dog as a medical examiner lifts the sheet. She says it looks as, looks so much like her dog. Markings and all, but it's too big. She pulls out a tiny red sweater and says that it fit her dog two months ago when she lost her. The camera pulls back to show the size comparison. The dog is now the size of a German Shepherd when it should be small. Detective Madison says, This sweater fit this dog? And then looks at the chief in disbelief. Cut to a dog with a collar walking down a suburban street. We see the pet store owner, Gutchel, pull up next to it with his van and lure it inside. We see there are other dogs in cages inside the van. We see the pet store van drive up to the Slade Pharmaceuticals building. Inside the building, we see a scientist named Arthur Helms, played by James Ingersoll. 
um, doing a surgery on a dog. And we really didn't call him out because uh, uh, he doesn't have a, an IMDb picture, and we kind of tend to skip over those people. But another actor that I really enjoy in this movie. Yeah, he was he was pretty good. Uh, but you know the deal. If you don't got a picture in IMDb, then why are we going to give you a shout-out? Update your profile, for crying out loud. If you're alive, update it. If you're not, yeah. well, update it from the grave. Come on. Come on. He says... You can do that. I'm going to need a lot more of these for this experiment. And the camera pans over, and we see he's talking to the pet store owner as he unloads the dogs he picked up off the street. The pet store owner says, How about some cats? I got plenty of cats. The scientist just replies, With puppies. Then he says that he's through with the ones in the bags, and Gutchell can dump the bodies. As he wheels out the bin of bodies, he says, A cop came by my store this morning, almost wet my pants. I'm scared, you know. Maybe I ought to lay low for a while. The scientist looks annoyed and says, Gutchell, I need more animals. The old man's bringing, breathing down my neck for results. Now get cracking. Gutchell says, right, puppies. And then he says, puppies. And they kind of both say puppies together. And this is this is like the, the script stuff that is interesting. You know, like every character has fun, interesting moments. Like even Gutchell, who he's going to die in a second, but... It gives him some the the writing gives him some stuff to work with in this movie. Yeah, I mean they're all good actors too. Yeah, I was expecting Jerry Lawler to pop out and go puppies. <laughs> oh, good old Jerry Lawler. Go listen to um, Two Dollar Late Fees Territory Marks where you guys talked about that one. Um, I'm listening to that one right now, but it's not the current episode. It's the the previous episode. It's the second episode. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh man, Jerry Lawler was a beast back in the day. Yeah, no. It Forget about like what it, he man. did on Raw. Forget about him like that era. Go back to the eight, early '80s when he was the king of Memphis. It's that's one of the shows, and this is a compliment, buddy. It's one of the shows that I only listen to uh, Territory Marks if I have time to pay attention to it. It's not a huh. a background show because I actually feel like I learn a lot from listening to it. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. I don't blow smoke up your ass. I tell you the truth, and I fucking love that show. I also love $2 Late Fee, so everyone go out and check out $2 Late Fee as well. But Territory Marks is on the $2 Late Fee feed, kind of like how uh, TV Obscura is on the pad feed, you know. Gaining steam. Wait wait till you see the match I picked for episode four. Hoofa doofa. I'm excited. Puppies! Cut to Detective Madison uh, talking to a sewer worker named Callan, played by Royce D. Applegate. I only call him out because we're going to see him again later. He's a character actor. You, you've you seen him in a bunch of things. He was in Splash. He was in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? He's been in a lot of stuff. So uh, Under Siege 2, he was Ryback's cook. <laughs> Under Siege 2 is actually pretty good, by the way. Um, yeah, as far but, as sequels go, it's it's not it's not one of the worst ones, you know. And what I think one of the reasons why it's so good is because the uh, the main villain in that, or one of the main villains, not Eric Bogosian, but Everett Everett McGill, is a tremendous villain in that as well. But no, he's a he's a really well like you you've seen him. He he's a character actor. You've seen him in a bunch of things. Yeah, and he was actually in the which I didn't even know existed, a Sequest DSV video game. He's like top build in that, but it's not the show, it's a video game. I had no clue that they fucking made a video game back in 1994. Uh, but apparently they did bring him into uh the sort of the reboot, the Sequest 2032 sort of back in 93 to 96 when they sort of brought Sequest back. Um he was actually in that one though. I think I remember that game. 
And, I mean, Sequest, didn't Sequest have action figures, too? Man, we, we're going to have to bring that one to TV Obscura one of these days as well. But I used to watch that all the time as a kid. I mean, I never watched it. I never watched okay. it. But, um, but I feel like it, it was pretty popular. Like, Stargate had action figures, yeah. you know? Yeah, God, Stargate was such a boring movie. That movie's so boring. Thank you. I am not Everyone a fan. Everyone pops boners for it. I'm like, why? Yeah. It's such a boring film. No, I'm not a fan of that movie. Not at all. I saw it in the theater, and I was like, this is boring. I'm bored. And I was just like, no, thank you. And then they made a, a show and I never watched the show because I didn't like the, the, the movie. So, but I've heard, I heard the show is actually pretty damn good. I heard the show is way better than the movie. Yeah. Uh, Rent soldier instead with Kurt Russell. If you want to see Kurt Russell being like a, just, you know, did you ever see soldier with Kurt Russell where he doesn't talk? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I saw that. I, I rented that. I, I, I didn't love it, but I also didn't hate it. And I'd be open for a re a rewatch. But I've also heard that that movie actually takes place in another, another, um, like a, a, another universe, another like a, a, a franchised universe. But I, I can't fucking mm. remember which one it is. So guys and gals, I might have to look into that. But we'll, we'll revisit that. But I've always heard that Soldier is actually takes place in X universe. I just can't remember what X is. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I just triggered in my mind that. Maybe Stargate's one of the few movies that Kurt, that Kurt Russell's in that is actually that he didn't save. Yeah, I I think so. I think you're right about that. So he's talking to Callan. Uh, they're in the street, and the worker who's Callan, named Callan is halfway in the manhole. Madison asks if he has a friend of Edward Norton. So, <laughs> so and, and it's funny now because that's actually a reference to the Honeymooners because Ed yes. Norton – was a sewer worker, um, so they made the character's name Edward Norton. But the irony is now you kind of forget it and you just think of the actor Edward Norton when they say it. You remember when he was gonna bring Hulk, like he was gonna be the next Bruce Banner? I mean, he <laughs> was the next Bruce Banner, but not not but the one like that we franchise. all fell in love with. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he was yeah. supposed to be the franchise. Uh huh. Nope. No. I, I don't like the Incredible Hulk that movie, uh, even though it's a part technically a part of the MCU. Um, Here's an unpopular opinion, but I actually enjoyed the Ang Lee Hulk movie more than the Incredible Hulk movie. I mean, it, Incredible Hulk is like, I don't know. He's not one of my favorite storyline characters. Me neither. He was never one of my favorite. I think they utilized him better as just a side character in the MCU. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So, But I, I think the Ang Lee one's really good. I think Eric Bana is great in that. I'm an Eric Bana fan. However, you pronounce his name, Bana Bana. Um, he's great in Black Hawk Down as well. I'm a big fan of his. Did you ever see his movie Chopper? Yes, yes, I have. Yep, so yep. good in that. Yep. Yeah, he's great in everything. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know, friend. Edward Welcome to the five-hour episode of Alligator, where we don't talk about alligator. <laughs> We've gone off on a lot of tangents here already. Uh, Callan says, "Yeah, he knows. Uh, you know, Edward Norton's his friend." Detective Madison says his time card says he punched out at three o'clock, but his wallet and street clothes are still in his locker. Callan says he punched out for him. Madison asks, where was the last place he saw Norton? Callan says it must have been last Friday. They were opening up a section of the old system down by the drug works there. And I think he's referring to Slade Pharmaceuticals when he says drug yes. works. Okay. okay. Yes. That's something I didn't pick up on quickly either like it took me a couple viewings me too cut to gutchel the pet store owner wheeling a cart full of black bags into the sewer 
He comes to a section that overlooks a deeper part of the sewer and starts opening bags and dropping dead dogs in the murky water below. We see a pair of alligator eyes watching him. One of the dogs doesn't land in the water, but instead on the concrete walkway next to the sludge. Gutchell climbs down a ladder while holding a lantern and kicks the dead dog into the water. He sees a cart creating a blockage in the sewer and hops in the water to clear the obstruction so the dead dog bodies can float away. Ugh. As the pet store owner's back is turned, we see a POV shot from the alligator bearing down on him. Gutchell turns around and screams as the creature attacks him. Good. And this little area, it kind of, I don't know if it's a set or I'm assuming it's a set because this is, I call this uh, Ramon's Lair, essentially, uh, or Damone's Lair. Um, but like, it kind of reminds me of the set in, in um, Cyborg in the sewer where, where Jean-Claude Van Damme's doing the splits above the dude and he stabs him in the head, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, this movie, miles above Cyborg. <laughs> Alligator, better than Cyborg. <laughs> Wasn't that uh, wasn't it Brick Bardo that he shoved it in his head? I think it was, man. I think it fucking was. Uh, oh, Albert uh, Pune. Side note: We're recording an episode with uh, <clears throat> with the guys from Action Action uh, the following day from recording this, and we're going to be talking about the 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 movie Nemesis, uh, Albert Pune's Nemesis. Oh, uh, Albert Pune. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie since high school when it came out um on vhs like 92 well I, I think i was probably middle school but i probably watched it when 93 or something um no i guess i was in high school then but um i'm gonna have to watch it tomorrow because i've not had a chance to watch it yet so i'm gonna have to oh. watch it before we record and... oh boy well i'll just say that nemesis is the you know when you hurt someone's feelings and you want to make it up to them by doing something nice but it doesn't go like you try to do something nice and it's nice, but it's not like that nice. That's Nemesis. <laughs> That's Nemesis. Okay. I as long as long as it's better than Cyborg, I'll be happy. Oh, it is. That's it is. That's all I care about then. Leaps and bounds. <laughs> Leaps and bounds. That's like all... uh, talking like a guy from Chicago living in Missouri. There you there you there you go. <laughs> wow. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal mm. is a joke. <laughs> Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out. As well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. And now, back to the show. 
Cut to the same uh, uh, waterworks plant. I didn't even know what to name it. Was it a waterworks? Was it a sewage plant? I, I don't know. But cut to the same place as before. Yeah. And we see a severed leg pop up in the water. Cut to later, and we see see the fam- a familiar scene of cops and workers dredging the water tanks for more evidence again. Detective Madison in the same corner from before are walking and talking. The doctor says, if this keeps up, I'm going to open up a spare parts shop. Detective Madison, holding the severed leg in a bag, says that this isn't the guy the arm came from. That The doc asks how he can tell. Madison says, this guy cut his nails square and the other guy rounded him off. Man, I just I love the way his eyebrows go up and just the way his lips. Man, some people just, I mean, <laughs> Rob, Robert Forrester, I'm, I'm a I have a huge crush on Robert Forrester. He's like, just a really good actor. He is, and he, but he also you know, has that. He's got an interesting face that I enjoy watching. And he's got a great, yeah, he's got a great voice. Look, there's a, there's, to become an actor in Hollywood is so hard. People who, like, are on the outside looking in who don't get that, it's like a one in a million shot. So the fact that he got to do. The, the 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 movies he did speaks to how good he is as an actor and you know to i i feel i met him uh, uh enough times to say that he seems like he's a really genuinely he was a genuine genuinely good guy and it's a shame too because if he was like if it was in a different time that he was losing his hair i mean he was losing his hair just as much as steve carell was in the first season of the office go back and watch that that's wild to see from season 1 to season 2 because steve carell like gets plugs but they're fantastic i think he's got the best plug man in the business fucking if robert if you know robert forster was just born in a different time he would have had those exact same the steve carell plugs you know i mean look at look at kevin costner on yellowstone you know that that's a it's a really authentic looking uh plug job if you got money man you can hey, get God good ass you. plugs just let jeremy piven uh you know <laughs> fucking jeremy piven have you seen those hair club for men ads that jeremy piven now does jeremy piven was a huge quote-unquote star yeah now he's doing hair club for men ads and he he screwed something happened in his career Something yeah. that we don't know about. Yeah, no, it's called him being well, they, a giant asshole, which is all I've ever heard about Jeremy Piven is that he's a giant asshole. It's hearsay, so I don't know for sure. But uh, all I do I know is my favorite role. I know a lot of like people like PCU, but I'm a big fan of Gross Point Blank. I thought he was great in that. He's great as a supporting actor. That's where he deserves to be, I think. Madison And then, and then PCU. <laughs> I know. I know you love your PCU. <laughs> Madison asks what kind of shoe he was wearing. Alligator wingtips with lifts in them, not regulation sewer gear. The coroner goes on to say that forensics came up with something very interesting in his socks. Kitty litter. This guy must have been a cat fanatic. I don't think you're a cat fanatic. I think you just have cats. I wanted him to say this guy must have been a had a this guy must have had a cat fetish. <laughs> that would have been better. Being a cat fanatic. At Slade Pharmaceuticals. Detective Madison is talking to Arthur Helms, the scientist from before. He asks if they've ever done business with a pet store owner named Gutchell. The scientist lies and says all the subjects are either bred here in the lab or purchased from the city pound. Detective Madison says, You're a hormone guy, right? (laughs) Just a hypothetical. Is it possible for a mature dog to double its size in a two-month period? The scientist says no, not at the present time. He goes on and says that once 
they're done with the subjects, they send them back to the pound for cremation. It's all carefully regulated by the Humane Society. Madison looks around and says that the dogs are very quiet. Arthur says that's because they cut the larynx of the dog when it first comes in. Makes a more peaceful work environment. That's kind of morbid, man. I mean, it's something that did happen. Um, we know, guys, we all know that labs torture dogs, especially beagles. I think beagles are like one of the more popular okay. dogs to be experimented upon. Um, so horrible. But th- this stuff went on in yeah. the 80s and yeah. like in prior. Yeah, so, unfortunately. Yeah, and it happened all the time. Probably still happens. Probably. We just, people are better at covering it up. Yep, that's that's true. Cut to Arthur Helms talking to Old Man Slade, played by Dean Jager. Now, or Jagger. Now, I thought it was pronounced Dean Jaeger, and that always reminds me of the beginning of Ghostbusters because Dean Jaeger's the one that kicks them out of the, the university. So, in my head, I was calling him Dean Jaeger the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's talking about Detective Madison. Stop dancing around it, son. You just got caught with your pants down, that's all. The scientist says, We were very close to the synthetic hormone, sir, and I thought that we should go ahead and... Slade cuts him off. What do the police really have on you? Arthur says, Well, Gutchell was paid out of the slush fund, so there's no way he can be tied to the company. I've disposed of any animals that can be traceable. It's just this guy, Madison... Again, Slates cuts him off and says, yes, 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 I'll put in the fix. It's not the police we have to worry about. No, it's those damn yellow journalists. That's the trouble. They're out to ruin our public image. Slade goes on, now you get back to your chemistry set and I'll take care of everything. Don't talk to any reporters. Arthur says, yes, sir, and leaves the office. All this is very, very, not standard, but very recognizable, I'd say. Yeah, yep. Cut to Chief Clark talking to Detective Madison as they're walking down a hallway, and the detective is changing his shirt. Madison says, I don't know why I have to talk to them. The chief reminds him that it's his case, then chastises Madison for not shaving. Nowadays, that that's what looks cool. I know, I know. But he does say, I was in a hurry. In a hurry? For Christ's sake, you were a half hour late. <laughs> these reporters are assholes just watch your language in there the chief yells back just watch your language in there (laughs) we see detective madison addressing a room full of reporters uh these are gonna be long so i'll just i'll take them edward norton worked for the sanitation department for 25 years a reporter asks if they have identified the other victim madison answers luke gutchell now luke gutchell chicago Luke Gatchel. Luke Gatchel. <laughs> he operated a pet store. Can you do that one for me? Luke Gutchel. He operated a pet store. Luke Gutchel. He operated a pet store. Again, guys and gals, we know who can do a better Chicago accent than... Chicago. <laughs> Emphasis on the A. A reporter asks if he had a criminal record. Madison says, no comment. Another reporter asks if there's any evidence to link the two murders. Madison says they don't know that it was a murder, and if he did, he couldn't comment on it. Another reporter, Kemp, played by Bart Braverman, asks asks if there's anything Madison can comment on. You know, he's kind of an asshole. Another reporter asks how the bodies made their way into this, uh, the sewer system. Madison says, Chicago. 
In this city, we use a combination sewer and drainage system. Therefore, the bodies could have found their way in at any point. That was fucking terrible. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I like how Zach's like stroking his you know chin. He's like, interesting, listening to me. He's like, no, that wasn't bad. Interesting. You're, you're a good uh, voice director. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Kemp asks for the cause of death in each case. Madison says the bodies were dismembered. We're waiting on the coroner's report. Reporters keep drilling him about a serial killer speculation and motives, and Madison keeps deflecting until he gets frustrated and starts to walk away. The chief takes the mic and says, as you can see, we have very little information at this moment. Now, if you excuse me, Detective Madison has, and then Kemp cuts him off and yells, Detective Madison, aren't you the same David Madison who lost his partner in the Baldwin uh, hotel in the Hotel Baldwin incident in St. Louis. Give me a give me your best Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Kemp goes on. I believe in that case your partner was stabbed to death, wasn't he? Madison looks at Kemp for a beat and says he was shot. Cameras flash as Detective Madison leaves the room. The chief ends the meeting and goes after his detective. Walking through the police station, Madison says to Chief Clark. You ought to let me break the stolen pet angle. Give him something to chew on. The chief chastises David for looking like shit when he's supposed to represent the department. I, I agree with that. The detective, <laughs> yeah. the detective said he had a rough night last night. He had one of those bad dreams, so give him a break. And here's what I find interesting about this movie. Clearly he's dealing with PTSD from his partner dying, but they never call it out as PTSD. Yeah, no, they don't. But they just show the symptoms, like him having bad dreams and everything. I wonder if PTSD was something that they uh, diagnosed back in the day, back then. Probably not. I don't think they did, man. I think that's a that's a 21st century thing. Because remember, like what, like in World War II, they just called it shell shock and yeah, what, like shell shock. Famously, like what um, um, Eisenhower or whatever would just like you know tell soldiers to get back out there, men. You know, rub some dirt on it. Basically, yeah. Coach, I'm, coach, I broke my dick. Rub some dirt on it, son. I mean, it's from Johnny B. Good. Guys and gals, like, you wonder why a whole generation of, of boys turned into shitty men because we were never allowed to fucking embrace any emotion whatsoever. Don't be a wuss, rat. <laughs> Come on. Don't be mean. You see that rat? Mustache is coming in. That's from uh, Fast Times also? Yeah. 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 It's been a hot minute since I've seen that, but I I have like it's one of those movies I watch probably once every like fifteen years or something. But I'm God, I'm yeah, due for I'm due for a watch. And I know uh, Criterion put out a good Blu-ray of that one, right? They sure did. It's fantastic. I gotta get it. I gotta get that one. Yeah. The chief says he can't let the Baldwin Hotel thing throw him off his game. That was five years ago, and nobody blames you. Madison says, "Tell that to the newspapers." Cut to a montage of newspaper headlines that read, Cops Seek Sewer Psycho, and Police Investigate Second Slain, and More Remains Found Under City. Back in the police station, Detective Madison asks for a volunteer to check out the sewers with him. He gets a bunch of lame excuses until Officer Kelly, Perry Lang, agrees to go with him. Madison agrees, and Kelly says he's going to need some boots or something. You bet. And I like how he's like, so Madison says, you bet. And then Kelly's like, all right, you bet. I, I don't know. I 
I fucking love the way Perry Lang does his thing in this movie. Yeah, it's very casual. It's that non-acting way of acting. Yeah, yeah. But it's also like this young gusto to it, you know? Like this young devil-may-care attitude about it. That's Yeah, there, did you ever watch that TV show The Shield? Oh, uh, fucking yes. I, Do you remember the blonde guy on that? The, the, one the that kind of football-y-looking dude? The one that, spoiler alert, gets killed by Walton Goggins by Walton Goggins dropping a grenade in his lap. Yep. Yeah, that guy. I love that show, and I love all those actors. That guy, like, similar vibe to me. Like, they're, like, a, like a cool, like a guy, like a surfer guy, like a casual dude that you just would want to hang out with. Dude, when you said, have you seen The Shield, I knew what character you were going to sort of make the equation to. And I almost think, like, if this character of Kelly, you know, Police Officer Kelly, got was able to grow up, he might have actually turned into that guy on The Shield. And they get blown up with a grenade. Dude, I think about that death once a month. That disturbed me. Because also, I, I liked that character, too. Because he was, like, probably one of the, the least corrupt of the corrupt cops, you know? Yeah, what an interesting show. If you guys have never seen The Shield, you should check it out. It's it's good. It's it's one of the, you know, people always talk about, oh, go watch The Wire. Go watch The Shield. Michael Chiklis, when he was, like, a just a beast after being the commish on tv and you finished the shield you made it all the way through right Ah, uh, yeah i did yeah, yeah yeah great and it ended great too so won't give away the ending but it's one of those shows that actually fucking has a satisfying ending i think because the creator already like he knew how it was going to end when he first created it yeah versus like lost yes which yes. they got lost at the end of that yes one. well that's also fucking jj abrams's mo so mm-hmm. but very good call about equating officer kelly to that character on on the shield same vibes same same vibes yeah at the requisition desk a sergeant is handing madison two gas masks and says that these will help if if they hit any sort of methane pockets by the way i had to pause the movie for like 10 minutes to figure out what to call this like and also too sometimes when i'm breaking this down i was like how do i explain the sewers like how do i explain where they are so here i was like what the fuck do i call this i was like rec i guess requisitions i don't know i don't know but it worked for me thank you at least at least you know what it is right so they've I gas- just realized this is your second sewer movie because uh, them was sewers uh, and I'm you're, we're going to get shades of them when all the police officer goes police officers go into the sewers. And it was also filmed in the you know L.A. River, too. So, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So in case they hit some methane pockets, which, of course, will come into play, they have gas masks. Then he looks perplexed and asks Madison, who cuts his hair? <laughs> Everyone's like. Madison's, fascinated I know with his hair Madison says he does the sergeant says he needs to see a hairstylist he's like you let your hair grow down and you whip it across nobody will be able to see it I love how fucking the sergeant is giving him like hair tips you know but yeah. that guy had a full head of hair though that guy had a yes <sighs> don't talk about my hair <laughs> I'm very sensitive about it uh i love how madison just kind of like looks at him for a beat you know robert forster just kind of looks at him and he's just kind of like okay it takes the gear kind of doesn't say anything yeah right just then a sketchy looking guy with something under his shirt and a wire running up his face walks into the police precinct 
He walks up to the sergeant Madison was just talking to and says he killed the men in the sewer. The sergeant says they'll take his confession downstairs, but the man says he didn't come to confess. He came to kill the rest of them. Madison and Officer Kelly hear this and look over at the man as he opens his shirt to reveal what might be a bomb attached to his chest. There's only 115 seconds left on the timer and it's counting down. The bomber says he cut up the victims with his knife. The sergeant asks, why would you do it, son? The deranged man said that they told him to. The voice is on the radio. And I like how he's like, on the radio. He does this the like, radio? Yeah, totally. I wrote that down. The radio. <laughs> he kind of does the pitch and everything. Yep. Again, every little character in this movie is fun. <laughs> well, the sergeant, the way the sergeant delivers his lines in this is great. Yeah, no, I, I, that's another character. The sergeant is is he. This is like his only scene, and yeah. I always like him. I think he's really good. Now it's like, I I I feel like it's legit. That's how you handle people like this. Yeah, yeah, because he does calmly, very calmly, doesn't get excited. Yep. On the radio, on the radio, <laughs> I'm gonna be the one girl. <laughs> What's this asshole smiling about? <laughs> Adventures of Ford Fairly. Go listen to our fucking review of that one. Great movie. Uh, so, <laughs> Officer Kelly says, Madison, he's bluffing. Take him to the left. Madison tells Kelly to cool it, but the patrolman keeps slowly going for his gun. Madison gets frustrated and says to the man with the bomb, Buddy, you want to know the truth? I used to be a left-hander. They made me a right-hander. I wanted to be a priest. They made me into a cop. You want to blow the joint up? I don't care what you do. He starts to leave the room, and he says, I stopped wanting to be a cop last week. As the guy follows Madison with his eyes out the room, Kelly grabs him from behind and holds the gun to his head while Madison rushes over to grab the explosives. So it was a good fake-out. He was basically just fucking faking him out and drawing his attention away. As the timer counts down to zero, Madison and the sergeant try to disarm the bomb, only to discover that it's a toy radio. Madison yells for someone to book him. Radio! <laughs> I'm gonna be the one, girl. Yeah, I'm gonna be the one. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Wayne Newton's ripping him a new a-hole at the end. And there's and a teardrop coming down his face. Teardrop down his eyes. It's the, my favorite scene in the movie. <laughs> and the this Newton. guy oh, like, crying. Fucking, what's this asshole smiling about? Oh, and I love when Ford walks out of the recording room and just explodes that girl's tray of fucking drinks <laughs> and he doesn't even give a fuck he's just like yeah nope. whatever nope <laughs> what are you supposed to, what, what should, who are you supposed to be what they said pain he's like kooky <laughs> <laughs> oh guys now <laughs> one day we may do this podcast so long that we just revisit movies that we we did in the first season the remastered version <laughs> do yeah. a remastered yeah uh, okay. Cut to I'm having fun with this review, man. <laughs> Cut to Officer it's Kelly. It's like a wrap-up after dark mixed in with Alligator. <laughs> it really is. If you're interested in joining our Patreon, go to patreon.com slash podcastingafterdark. Sign up to our Patreon for more fun stuff like this. This and the Carpenter Factor. I mean, it's all good stuff. Carpenter Factor, we cover every single one of John Carpenter's movies, starting with the first one. Uh, Dark Star, all the way up to, uh, oh gosh, The Ward, 
we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna work each month we cover a different john carpenter film and we talk about it it's like a free-form discussion with a little bit of structure anyways uh it's on patreon it's totally fun check it out all y'all patreons who are listening to this you know how great it is if you're not a patreon member consider becoming one it's totally worth it i think i said that twice totally (laughs) Our, so many, you know, shows on our main feed are so structured, you know, and I know we get a lot of positive feedback about that because actually as much as tangents that we've been going on this episode, people really do compliment us on the fact that we stay on target most of the time. But uh, I do enjoy the fact that John, the Carpenter Factor and Wrap Up allow us to be a little bit more free form with our discussion. Yeah, there's a few people I'm sure that listen to this so far. And they're like, we just get back to talking about alligators. God damn alligator. Favorite movie of all time. Come on. I mean, if you think this is the greatest movie of all time, I want to meet you. <laughs> Cut to Officer Kelly, Detective Madison, walking through the sewers. They're talking about the crazy guy with the fake bomb. Uh, the older detective asks the beat cop how he knew uh, the guy was bluffing. Kelly says, well, he can't live forever. Madison says he won't make it far as a police officer with that attitude. As they're walking through knee-high water, Kelly asks why Madison left St. Louis. Madison says, You must have heard the story. Kelly shrugs and says, All I heard was it's kind of unhealthy to work with you. Madison asks why he volunteered then. Kelly says, I don't go for that locker room crap. Besides, I can take care of myself. Know what I mean? And I like how Madison kind of gives them a half smile. And already they're kind of bonding. I I love that. Yeah, Yeah, they're bonding. The two officers come to a dead end and they can't seem to find it on the map. Madison says the maps aren't complete. Some of these tunnels date back to 1890. They start walking again and Kelly says, well, as long as we get home before supper. They arrive at another part of the sewer and it looks cloudy. Madison says, methane, use your mask and don't light any matches foreshadowing foreshadow foreshadowing 101 (laughs) foreshadow 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 as they walk through the gas-filled area madison goes on i saw a methane explosion in st louis once blew a hole in the street goddamn bus fell through it and kelly says yeah at least we can find our way out of here They keep walking until they come out of the methane-filled area and into a new junction. There's a hole in the wall to their left that leads to another sewer tunnel with knee-high water. Madison looks around without going into the tunnel and asks Kelly where they are. Kelly looks at his map and says, according to this, Cleveland. Madison takes one of those loose bricks and drops it into the water and it makes a splash. We see the alligator open its eyes and look at them. Detective Madison walks away from the hole in the wall while Kelly is still looking through it. He says, I knew a guy like you in St. Louis. Wild Bill, they used to call him. He'd just kick in a door and see what happened. Kind of reminds me of that cop in uh, the original Dawn of the Dead in the opening scene that just kicks in the door and blows the guy's head up. That guy was probably Wild Bill. Yeah, Wild Bill. (laughs) Ha ha. Just then he hears a splash come from the other tunnel and turns around, but Officer Kelly is gone. Madison frantically looks and calls for Kelly, but gets no response. He jumps down into the other tunnel where he threw the loose brick. He keeps calling for Kelly as he walks deeper into the tunnel. Detective Madison eventually comes to the part of the sewers where Gutchell was eaten, trying to clear the way with the shopping cart obstruction. 
He walks over to the shopping cart to try and move it, and we see the same POV shot we got of the alligator attacking Gutchell. But this time, it's just Kelly scaring Madison by grabbing his ass. By a little grab ass. Madison jumps and hits his head. I could have shot you, asshole. Kelly's laughing and says, I thought I was dealing with quick draw Madison. The detective holds up Getchell's lantern and asks what Kelly thinks. What Kelly thinks. Kelly says, I think someone's been here recently. Madison agrees and says they need to come back here with a crew and look the place over. Cut to Madison and Kelly still walking through the sewers. Kelly says he's getting real tired of this soup and kicks the water. Madison catches up to him and they both look at the map together to get their bearings. Now, did you notice this? We see a quick shot of the giant alligator behind them, but it doesn't make a noise and sinks back into the shadows. Did you notice that? Yeah, that was creepy. That was cool. That's cool. Madison says that if they keep going down this way, they should hit some kind of an outlet. Kelly looks annoyed, and Madison shrugs and says, Get you home for dinner. Kelly replies, I'm not hungry anymore. They keep walking through the water. Kelly up front, Madison in the back. Kelly rounds a corner, and the giant alligator pops out. Kelly opens fire, and so does Madison. The reptile's tail knocks Kelly back, and Madison helps him up. They both go running back the way they came with the alligator in hot pursuit until they reach a manhole. Madison climbs up first and tries to get the cover off. Kelly yells for him to push, but he says it won't budge. Just then, the giant alligator bites down on Kelly's leg and starts pulling him down the ladder. Madison tries to hold on to him, but loses his grip, and Kelly gets dragged off down the sewer as Madison yells for him. Dude, Kelly's death is fucking, to me, it's a bit gut-wrenching. Yeah, it's one of the few that you actually feel bad for the guy. I mean, and it's it's helped by both of them are great actors, but the look on Madison's face like on Robert Forrester's face is pure terror. And yeah. like, like how could this be happening to me again? You know, mixed, right. like to, two things in one. And then, you know, and then Kelly trying to grab on, you still see Kelly's face as he gets dragged down the sewers. Right. It's traumatic. Now I know you saw it on creature feature. You said back in the day, I think so. Yeah. And the Blu-ray that I sent you has a theatrical version and a TV version on it. Do you think you watched, did Creature Feature, would it show the TV version or would it show the theatrical? Probably the TV version. I haven't watched the, I didn't watch the TV version though. No, so. I mean, me neither. But like, do you remember this? Do you remember like Kelly's death? Or I think more... so, yeah, because it's not really gory. Okay, do you, do you remember, did you remember the kid's death later? Yes. In the, in the pool? Yes. Okay, so they did show that. I think so. Okay. I think so. Okay. Not super certain, but I think so. Okay. Cut to Detective Madison waking up in a hospital bed. He asks the nurse how he got there, and she says, you just popped out of a manhole at Campbell Street and started yelling alligator. She leaves the room. Madison says, Jesus, Kelly. Then shoots out of bed and starts getting dressed. The nurse comes back in with Chief Clark and tries to stop him from leaving. Madison asks the chief what happened to Kelly. Did they find him? The chief says, nothing, not a sign of you-know-what either. The chief tells him to stay in the hospital for a couple days and take it easy. Madison looks frustrated and says they got to go back down into the sewers. You think I'm going to lie in this bed while a kid I sent down in the sewers is unaccounted for? The nurse says that Dr. Lee, the psychiatrist, 
has to see Madison first. As Madison argues with the chief and the nurse, reporter Kemp shows up at the door. He smugly asks how Madison is feeling. The, tech, the detective tells him to get lost, but Kemp says he's just trying to write a story. Then he goes on, I hear you lost another partner. You know, that's getting to be a bit of a habit with you. I pulled out the files on the Baldwin Hotel shooting. The chief tells him to lay off. Kemp keeps pressing about what happened in the sewer yesterday, and the chief keeps saying no comment. Kemp says, Chief, I'm not asking you. I'm asking Officer Madison. It's kind of a dick thing to say the chief of the police. Right. The detective says that's exactly what they're going to find out. Madison and Chief Clark leave the hospital. And go to see Dr. Marissa Kendall, played by Robin Riker. Doctor? Doctor. She's extracting venom from a rattlesnake. She's doing this, by the way. Robin Riker is holding on to that rattlesnake. Yeah, and that's really, like, they still do that to this day. That's how you extract venom. To this day, that same, that same practice of, like, into the cup with this, uh, like, a, in, like over a piece of uh, plastic or whatever. They're, it's like a, you know, it's like a dental dam or something they're putting over this cup. It's how they do it to this day. Which means, I mean, you can't fuck up. Like, you have to hold on to that snake's head and its, you know, back end, right? And, I mean. That's how you get anti-venom. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. But, I mean, the fact that the actress, Robin Riker's actually fucking doing it, I can't imagine the insurance companies would let you nowadays, unless it's possible that Rattlesnake had its venom glands removed, but I can't imagine that the insurance companies would let an actor hold the snake like that. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, nope, I w- nope. If I was Robin Riker, I'd be like, I quit. No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Nope. Send in the hand model. Yep. George Costanza. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good one, buddy. But we know it's not because she has to stay in the scene and fucking walk over with the fucking snake in her hands. Wild. But yeah, she's exna- extracting the, the venom. Uh, and she tells them that the largest alligator ever recorded was around 15 feet. But in a sewer, it's not possible. Even in a zoo, they don't grow full size. Detective Madison says, He was bigger than dead. He was huge. That's what she said. <laughs> oh. She says that an alligator half that size would starve in a week. Plus, there's no sunlight. And there are toxic fluids and gases. Not to mention how it got there in the first place. <laughs> your father. Your father's how it got there in the first place. Your your angry father who never gets brought up. No. I think he probably dies when she was young. And then the mom goes crazy. Yep. Madison goes on. You're looking at the one who saw it, and it, and it was big. She tries to be practical and suggests that he's mistaken because of how dark it was. Madison closes the book he was looking through in frustration and thanks the doctor for her help. He asks to borrow the book, and Marissa says she, he can keep it. Madison leaves the room, and the chief asks if there could be another animal down there that could possibly be this size. Nothing I know of. The chief thanks her and leaves, too. Cut to Chief driving Madison back to the precinct. And clearly they're like up in, you know, the valley area that they're driving through again. Yeah. No. Doesn't look like Missouri. No. No, not at all. Madison complains about Dr. Kendall, but the chief says it was worth a try. She's the leading authority on alligators. The chief goes on and tells Madison to give it up. It's just one of his nightmares. Madison shoots back. Nightmare your ass. There's something down there. Now, it'll take a lot of guys, but we'll flush it out. 
The chief replies, the only thing you're going to take is a leave of absence. Read it and weep. He tosses Madison a newspaper and the headline reads, Lightning strikes twice. City detective loses partner again. Madison reads the article out loud and it talks about losing Kelly in the sewers and the Baldwin Hotel incident with his previous partner. Cut to the police locker room and an officer is reading the same article out loud for the rest of his fellow officers to hear. His dialogue picks up where Robert Forrester's sort of ended and it creates like a great little edit. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm like, man, they talking shit about their fellow cop. Well, that's that tracks. Well, I think it's also because, you know, Kelly was probably more of one of them because he was a like a patrolman and then Madison got him killed, you know? True. That's true. And you know, Kelly was liked, you know, he was a likable guy in the office. Yeah. Is this, is this the one where the, like the, the, there's a sticker behind the guy and it's like a, it looks like an alligator. Well, they find, they find, uh, Robert Forster finds an alligator in his. Yeah. But there's like a, there's still like a sticker behind the guy as he's reading and and it's, it intentionally looks like an alligator mouth. Interesting. I I didn't pick up on that, but that oh. okay. Go back and I'll gotta rewatch it. Look for that. <laughs> <laughs> Madison walks into the locker room and says, "Hey guys." Yeah, because I mean they're they're talking about him, you know. The Stop off- talking about me behind my back. The officer stops reading and everyone looks at him. Madison opens his locker to find a little rubber alligator toy hanging in. Ha 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 ha. Madison looks, looks, takes it down and says, nice, then leaves. The officer goes back to reading the article out loud. And I like how they all hate it. Clearly they hate him because they're just like, look, they don't even say anything to him. Nope. Cut to the reporter Kemp talking to Madison's nurse about his nightmares. The nurse says he was out on meds most of the time he was there, but he kept going on about alligators in the sewers. Isn't she, like, violating some kind of HIPAA thing or something? She is, and Kemp needs, like, to get sleep or something. He looks like shit, that guy. He kind of... His bug eyes and his deep socket uh, dark circles under his eyes. Well, he's about to get some sleep soon with the fishes. Well, he just looks like that guy, like, he smokes way too many cigarettes. You know, he's, like, tan from almost the nicotine makes you tan. He is... I couldn't tell, like, was it a spray tan or something? Because it's, but you know, but it was, like, way too early. I don't think there was really spray tans back then. Like a nicotine tan. Yeah. No, you're Gross. right, dude. You're right. Yep. I. Yeah. It's, oh, man. You know his breath just, like, his little yellow teeth, you know? Yeah. Come here. Give me a kiss. No. <laughs> <laughs> asks, alligators in the sewers. Cut to, we see Kemp walking through the sewers that Madison and Kelly were in a couple days before. He has a flashlight and his camera. As Kemp is walking through the muck, he sets up some scenes and takes some pictures. He hears a low growl but thinks nothing of it, so he moves deeper into the darkness. Kemp stumbles upon a dead dog, and he takes a picture of that too. He eventually makes his way to where Gutchel was attacked, and Kelly scared Madison by grabbing his ass. He takes a picture of the shopping cart blocking the way, but this time, as he does, he's attacked from behind by the giant alligator. Kemp is able to keep taking pictures of the reptile as it attacks and kills him. Now, this is a Jaws reference, or is it Jaws 2 when the the, uh, scuba diver gets eaten and they find his camera? I think it's the... Jaws 
one to prove that it's a shark, isn't it? I thought it was Jaws 2 when they find the camera. Maybe it is Jaws 2. I'm trying to remember because it's like the proof that this shark, that these people have been attacked by a shark. Right. Yeah. 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 I forget. I forget now. Bummer. But yeah, but it's totally, it's a blatant ripoff of Jaws 2. Yeah. Or Jaws, of the Jaws movies. Oh, yeah. Of one of the Jaws movies and everything. I can't remember. Right down to like, we got photographic evidence of this thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, the, I mean, obviously people always compare this to Jaws, Jaws in the sewers, Jaws in the city, but I think it has a, it does enough of it on its own to stand apart from that. Yeah, yeah. Cut to Madison looking through the book on alligators that Dr. Marissa Kendall gave him. He closes it in frustration and notices her picture on the back, so she's the author. Just then he gets a phone call. He says, No, I was awake. Then he pauses and asks, Kemp? I'll be right there. At the police station, Chief Clark shows Madison Kemp's camera in an evidence bag. He says it was caught in a grate by Tank 5. But there's no sign of Kemp, and the sanitation workers won't go in any further. The rumor is starting to spread. Just then, a clerk walks in with the photos that were developed from Kemp's camera. They look through the pics, and the alligator attacking Kemp is clear as day. Madison asks if the chief believes him now. He says that he'll get the herpetologist to take a look at it. Who? The snake lady. The clerk who developed the pic says, imagine clicking away in your camera while that's coming at you. Madison says, well, he'll make the front page. Anyway, that's all he really wanted. So now they have definitive proof as to, you know, what's happening. Now, yes. So now it's like, okay, so fucking cut him, cut Madison some break, you know, other police officers. Cut me some slack, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Cut to a newsstand and the camera zooms in on the front page. It says, reporter takes pic of own killer. And you can see his hand in the alligator's mouth. That's pretty gruesome for a picture for, you know, newspaper. Yeah. We see a TV reporter standing next to a manhole with uh, workers around it reporting about Kemp's death. At Detective Madison's apartment, he's watching the same news report while doing sit-ups. He changes the channel, and another news reporter is standing by another manhole and reporting the same thing. He changes the channel again, and the mayor is talking about it, too. Madison changes the channel one last time, and Dr. Kendall is being interviewed. She says that it's definitely an alligator, but it can't be that large. They don't even grow to the normal size in the zoo. Madison shuts off the TV and goes back to looking at a map. He's trying to pinpoint where the large reptile might be based on reported attacks. We cut to a SWAT team van pulling up next to a manhole, and a squad of guys go down inside. We see another shot of police officers setting up a fortified perimeter at one of the sewer entrances in the L.A. River, which is supposed to be Missouri. Yeah. They have bazookas and grenades and lots of guns. We see Madison showing the chief on a map where the men are and what they're doing. They're trying to flush the alligator out of the sewers and right into the trap that's been set up at the fortified entrance. Dr. Kendall walks up to the men as the chief asks, what if it doesn't run? She says, it will, and goes on, if you don't corner it, you'll be fine. Madison takes the chief aside and asks, who invited her? The chief says, David, we don't know how this thing's going to react. Maybe she can help us. A female officer tells Madison that all units are in position in handsome radio. The officer on the other end says they are ready. 
Dr. Kendra walks over and apologizes for not believing him. Madison tells her not to lose any sleep over it, then radios the officers to commence operation. We see multiple officers and SWAT team members walking through the sewers, making as much noise as possible by banging on pots and their nightsticks on the walls. We see some time has passed and it's dark outside now. Dr. Kendall tells Madison that she had an alligator once when she was little. She says her father found it dead one day, so she didn't get to keep it very long. His name was Ramon. Or Ramon! He goes on, she goes on and says that they aren't very good pets anyways. Snakes are a lot better. Madison looks at her and says, You're a weird kid, you know that? She says she's not a kid. He replies with, Anyone younger than me is a kid. That's a weird line. I'm like, what? And he's kind of a dick to her for most of the movie, but she's into him. He's so he's a huge asshole to her. Yeah. In a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Marissa says that she's really sorry about his friend. That must have been a terrible thing to see. Madison doesn't say anything. Back in the sewers, the men are making their way towards the entrance where they have the trap set. We see the alligator glide through the water, but sort of no perspective on where it is, though. Madison mumbles something to himself, like, where's it going? The mayor pops up behind him and says, where did he come from? That's what I would like to know. The chief introduces Madison to the mayor. Oh, sorry, I used the chief's voice for the mayor, but whatever. Madison walks over to the barricade and tells everyone to get ready. They can hear the men banging on their pots as they get closer to the entrance. Someone calls out, hold your fire, and the men come, in out, of, come out of the entrance, but no alligator. David says it's still in there. Somehow they missed it, but Chief tells them they got to figure out what to tell the press. So they leave with the TV news reporters in tow. He says there will be a press conference in the morning. Dr. Kendall watches them leave. So this alligator has now killed at least three people, right? And and yet they just like they give it one shot to look for it, and then they're done. Yeah, okay, sure, okay. sure. We give up. Sure. <laughs> we... Sorry, guys, we didn't find anything. Uh, it's probably gonna kill some more people, but uh, we, <laughs> we 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 gotta we're got, we don't want to miss the game. It's on TV right now. <laughs> Go Bears! <laughs> Go Bears! Uh, the Chicago Cubs, I think, are on. They're playing the Yankees. That Don Manley, he's a he's a pisser, that guy. And I love how Madison is like, you know, in charge of the whole operation, but once nothing comes up, the Chiefs like, we gotta get the fuck out of here, man. And just grabs him and goes like 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 every all the other cops are like, what do we do now? Like, where's the orders? What are the orders? You know, we're done. (laughs) Go home, guys. Get get the rest (laughs) of the day off. Every single cop in. Missouri's there. Yeah. So crime has like doubled in the past hour. <laughs> Honestly, man, if you know all the cops are in the sewers looking for fucking a giant alligator, just go commit your crimes now. Yep. It's time. Let's go. Let's do it. Purge, baby. <laughs> As the chief and Madison drive through the city, they are stopped by kids playing stickball in the street. The chief tells them to move and puts the police light on the roof of his car. I like how the kids like, ah, fuck you. And kind of like, yeah. you know, this kids funny. <laughs> yeah. As uh, so they kind of they they go by, as one kid stands by a manhole ready to bat. Yeah, so they're playing stickball. In, in this the is street. hilarious. So as one kid stands by a manhole ready to bat, the ground starts to rumble and shake. Everyone watches in disbelief as the giant alligator bursts out through the ground. 
One of the kids says, that's the one on the TV. And guys and gals, yes, they do have miniature sets where they put a normal size alligator inside of a miniature set to make it look big. And you know what? I don't hate it for it. it it's doing what it's trying to do, you know? It's real. I mean, it's it's hilarious. It's <laughs> hilarious. You just, you gotta laugh at it. It's really funny. It is. This is one of those, you know what? Zach, correct me if I'm wrong. This is one of those movies where you could sit there and watch it and enjoy it as a movie, but it's also a one where you could sit there with friends and goof on it as well and have a good time with it as well. Oh, yeah, totally. But that doesn't take away from the fact that it can also be watched as a good movie, too. Yes. You're like, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's good. It's good. But the, the special effects are so hokey. Yeah. You can't look at that and be like, oh, it's more like, oh, God. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Especially this scene. It like comes out of the ground. You see the foam, the foam, the fake little cement uh, floor or whatever breaking. It's it's so it's so like 1950s <laughs> schlock. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's a little attack of the killer tomatoes. It's a little attack of the killer tomatoes. Yeah, no, you're not wrong, man. It's it's schlocky. It's definitely schlocky. <laughs> but this is also the moment that uh, they chose to turn into the new cover on the Shout Factory uh, thing, which is so weak compared to the original uh, cover. All their, for the most part, Shout Factory's uh, alternate covers are not that good. You you just watched Valley Girl the other day. The Shout Factory has this this cool idea of Nicolas Cage like blowing uh, gum and like seeing the valley girl in his eyes or something like that. It's, something it's like reversed. That. It's it's Deborah Foreman and then Nicolas Cage is in her glasses and she's That's blowing. right. But yeah, it's But her eyes are blood uh, someone's, the eyes are bloodshot. Is it like Nicolas Cage's eyes are bloodshot or someone's eyes are blood? It's it's like it's cool but then like they just miss the mark a little bit. Yeah, dude, it's... I don't know. Um, no, I, I, I'm i with you, man. Uh, I What I tend to do is I, I'd reverse the Blu-ray cover so that it's the original cover and then put the new slipcase over it, um, yeah. you know, so you can have both. But you're right, dude. I never thought about it, but nine times out of ten, the Shout Factory redesigned cover is not as good as the original. Yeah, Vinegar Syndrome is the only company that puts out an alternate that's... It, it, as good or better case in point the the dude designs yeah yeah fucking uh, all of his designs are amazing yeah we love him and he did the don't cover argue for... with me about that anyone because it's true I, yeah i love him and he did um he did new york ninja did the cover for new york ninja uh martial law roadhouse so many six, surf two six string samurai yeah uh, he did our split second cover uh that mvd put out so he did um, yeah, go go check out, go follow the dude designs on Instagram. He's fucking awesome. He's cool, yeah. Everyone goes running, and the one kid goes inside his apartment to grab a knife. Outside, a police officer is driving down the street with his lights on, but when everyone comes running around the corner, he slams on his brakes and crashes into another car, rolling his. He can't get out of the door because it's bashed in, and his car's on fire. He's he's in a bit of a pickle. So the cops hilarious. <laughs> this scene is so funny. It's just like it's so schlocky in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. So the cop climbs out of the window 
and is immediately attacked. I mean, he sees the, the alligator coming, but he's like, I got no other option. I'd rather be eaten than burned alive. So, uh, 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 <laughs> help me, help me. So he gets attacked by the fucking thing. Fucking, it eats his, rips his fucking leg off while the little kid watches in horror from his window. Then, then we see the alligator walk down the street, cut back to the scene of the attack, and there are cops everywhere. Dr. Kendall walks over to the chief and Detective Madison. She says that uh, he'll go for water. She elaborates. He's expended a lot of energy, and he'll look for a place with water to rest. The chief, who is very excited right now, says, That's wonderful! We got rivers, we got canals, and we got that lake right over there. And, of course, cut to a shot of the alligator going into the lake. Cut back to the chief telling the mayor that the safety of the public is his job. The the mayor reminds him he has no job unless the mayor gets reelected. We see Detective Madison and Dr. Kendall talking to the one kid who saw it. Madison says, give this lady an idea of how big he was. Hey, give this lady an idea of how big he was. <laughs> I'll tell you how big he then was. Then the kid goes, what? <laughs> Ew. That's not right, sir. <laughs> but the kid Don't is Don't put words in my mouth, kid. So he goes, you know an El Dorado? And I like how she's like, or no, he goes, uh, uh, Madison says, the car? No, refrigerator, of course a car. And the kid like turns into like this like 1930s, you know, riffraff kid or something. Riffraff asshole. Yeah. Kendall leans in and says, wait a minute. You're saying it was as big as a car? The kid says, yeah, of course you got to add the tail. Dr. Kendall looks at Madison with concern. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody. I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. Hello, everybody. I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Cut to the next morning, and Dr. Kendall's making a plaster cast of the giant alligator's footprint in the mud by the lake. She says, look at the size of this thing. It's kind of like what Wedge says in uh, New Hope when he sees the Death Star. We see (laughs) Zach's just like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) We see a large crowd of onlookers (laughs) is gathered around what is clearly 
MacArthur Park, which yeah. we which we saw in uh, Out of the Dark and in many many other movies, right down to the paddle boats and everything. Yeah, the paddle boats. <laughs> you know the ones in Missouri. And I'm clearly from Chicago. So they're there to watch the local police and National Guard search for Ramon by dropping grenades in the water to scare him out. Yeah, you know, because that's what you do. Fucking throw grenades in the water. Kill all the fish. Who cares? Who gives a shit? (laughs) Fuck them. Fuck them. Dr. Kendall takes the foot cast to Detective Madison and says, according to this, it should be 30 to 40 feet long. David jabs at her. But it's an alligator. (laughs) Dr. Kendall kind of gives him a look like, I know what you're doing. You're you're jabbing me a little bit there. Mm. Chief Clark comes over and introduces them to Colonel Brock, Henry Silva, who comes off like a real POS right out of the gate. It's great. It's great. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a one-note character, but he does his job, and he does what he needs to do. He's, like, comedic, though, through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Brock sees the explosions in the water and uh, says in a disappointed manner, it's a wild animal, not a submarine. Yeah, I actually have sympathy. Like, I support him. Like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. He's like, he's like, you guys are idiots. Kind of has that look on his face. Yeah. The mayor says he flew Colonel Brock in to take charge of the whole operation because he's a world-famous game hunter. Detective Madison looks visibly annoyed by this and says, What the hell do you expect me to do? Brock says, Just stay out from under my feet. It kind of gives them, they kind of have this like pause look at each other, you know, type of thing. The alpha dog, you know, big, oh, 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 big dog. Kind of like, you know, it's who's the alpha here type of thing. You want to go or you want to kiss? What do you want to (laughs) do? Madison grabs his jacket and says, start right now, guys. And he leaves. Detective Kendall tries to defend David by reminding them that it isn't his fault the alligator got loose. Colonel Brock looks at her and says, Who is this pretty girl? In a very condescending manner. Piece of shit. Yep. Chief Clark introduces Kendall to Brock and says, Oh yes, the lizard lady. Now you can go back to your books. As he shakes her hand. Kendall stands her ground and says they need they need all the help they can get. She's seen what this animal can do. Brock says, Back with bravado. Well, if I couldn't get myself killed chasing it, what fun would it be? Foreshadowing. Foreshadow. Sales likes to do his foreshadowing in this script, doesn't he? A lot of foreshadow. <laughs> Cut to Detective Madison. I, I could listen to your Chicago accent all oh, night. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> Cut to Detective Madison. One of Mad- these days I'll book a gig using it. You know what? Maybe. What if, that, what if your gig is a Chicago accent? Someone's going to write in. They're going to be like, that's not a good Chicago accent. Like, <laughs> and you're you know not what? a good Chicago accent. And if if you feel that way, send us a voicemail and, and sh- tell us, show us what a good Chicago accent is. Yeah, because I'm just going off of like instinct, sort of. <laughs> you're, you're channeling your inner Robert Forrester. And a little bit of Midwest. It's well, Chicago's Midwest. Yeah, yeah. Cut to Detective Madison walking through the crowd of onlookers. Multiple people are selling alligator toys and souvenirs. It's a gauntlet. Finally, a guy with a live alligator baby in a shoebox shows it to David, and he calls over two patrolmen to arrest the guy for... He's being a creep. Possession of an endangered species. Whatever you like. Detective Madison leaves the scene. Cut back to... I'm leaving. 
<laughs> Cut back to Colonel Brock, still down by the lake. He's given an interview to a young female reporter and is very sleazy about it. And I feel bad because she has to act like she's, you know, into it. He starts out the conversation with, you're very pretty. But, but so that's his whole gimmick, though. He's a sleazeball. Yeah, yeah. Is he like that in every movie? No. It's just Colonel Brock. Yeah. And he's Duke, and, I mean, he's, yeah, he's different in everything. He's a pretty versatile actor, actually. He wasn't a, ever a Bond villain, was he? I don't think he was, but he's played, you know. Like, that His caliber. best villain role, I think, is in Above the Law. Okay. It's when, I think that's the one where Seagal, like, he, like, stabs him in the knee or something like that. I don't know. Go back to listen to our William uh, Sanderson interview where he talks about working with Seagal in what hard to kill or one of those movies. Oh, William, our William Sadler review. Sorry. Our will go back and listen to our William Sadler interview where he talks about working with Seagal in hard to kill or whatever movie he did with Seagal. Yeah. And Seagal loves his like super violent kills in movies because the way he tort like he does something to Silva and above the law too, which is really messed up. Like he stabs him in the leg or something like that. I forget what. Well, in fucking Under Siege, man, he fucking puts that, sinks that knife right into Tommy Lee Jones's like, head? top of his head and then <laughs> smashes his head into... I, even as a kid, like, that whole movie had a certain vibe, and then that kill, I was like, Jesus. I got a upcoming $2 six question segment with an actor um, uh, in a couple months from who did a movie with Seagal. <laughs> it talks about what a... Well, you'll just have to hear it. It's really funny. He's like, th- this actor said, I don't usually talk shit about people because, you know, there's always something redeeming. You can, he goes, but that guy, I have no problem talking about. Yeah. Well, fuck, fuck Steven Seagal. He's also a Russian asset too. Apparently he's just, a, he's just over now hanging out with Putin, the biggest piece of shit in the entire world. I've never, I've never, I stopped liking him the minute he showed up at Brandon Lee's gravesite and claimed to be a friend of the family. And they had to issue a statement saying that we don't even, we don't even know Steven Seagal. What like a, he shows up on the day of Brandon Lee's funeral. I have never heard anything good said about Steven Seagal. He's a jerk. Yeah, but I but I do like some of his movies. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, yeah, me too. Me too, dude. Me too. And I go back to I liked his I like the movies that he did before I knew he was a jerk. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. And we're not talking about, uh, you know, Steve Martin, the jerk. <laughs> no. Where's my dog shithead? <laughs> Somebody really hates these cans. <laughs> Doesn't he think he's black? Too? Yes. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. <laughs> Uh, so oh, the jerk oh man <laughs> so yeah so funny it's so funny i know oh uh, and i so he also talks about how uh alligators vocalize and attract mates that was the the joke that i was doing earlier very poor poor joke probably probably lost five people listening at the beginning well, of no my episode. bearded my bearded dragon uh had an erection, so there you go. I did it. I did it. Mission accomplished. Oh, uh, and I did note here that she acts like uh, she remotely finds him attracting. Hey, acting, right? Yes. And if anyone's wondering, yes, I actually do have a bearded dragon. That's not code for something else. No, it's not code for mind. Zach's boner. If Zach yeah. had a boner, he would just say, I have a boner right now. 
He would say it like in super bad. I have I, a boner. I probably would not. <laughs> uh, cut to Doctor. What is your beard dragon's name again? Abolus. That comes from uh, Bodhi has been in Dungeons and Dragons since he was like five. And we went on a name generator uh, for certain attributes for D&D characters. And we typed in his attributes and up came Abolus for this lizard character that Bodhi created. And then when we got Abolus, he was really bummed because he, we originally thought Abolus was a girl. He's like, I want to be a boy. And like, it doesn't matter, you know. And then we found out Abolus is a boy because male dragons have two dots under their tail. That oh. signifies that they're male. Okay. So weird. Interesting. Anyways, we've had him for three years now. Oh, okay. Love that guy. Bearded dragons are awesome. If you ne- if you're interested in getting, oh, and, and speaking of this ties in with alle- that whole alligators and feeding them and whatnot. Don't buy a bearded dragon. Don't buy any animals from a pet store, any animals, because apparently uh, they feed the bearded dragons like salt pellets and sugar cubes to feed them, which is that's why most of these bearded dragons are sick and they don't live very long. If you buy them from a pet store, where did you get it from? Uh, our friends uh, had a friend who it was a baby. They got, I think it, it was like a, a, a litter of dragons from their beard dragons. And they couldn't, this was during COVID and they couldn't care for it anymore. And they needed to find a home for it. It was only like three months old mm. and we took it three or f- no, no, like four or five months old. Anyways, we took it and uh, we've had it ever since. It's my little buddy. I never knew his name. I've seen plenty of pictures on Facebook and everything, but I didn't know yeah, his name. Abolus. Okay. He gets along with our dog, and he's super cool. He sits on my shoulder, looks at me. Very cool. Well, we I had to take him into the vet actually last week, and because uh, he had a respiratory issue, they get these, and they could be it could be fatal. He got one antibiotic shot, and he was back to, back to normal the next day. But the whole time he sat on my shoulder, I drove to the vet with him on my shoulder. Oh. He just sat there looking at me. Oh, so cool. Anyways. Oh. And and when he felt better, was he like, I'm back, baby? Well, they bat their eyes. He bats his eyes at me. He's, oh. like, He's like, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Yeah. yeah, he went, I'm back, back in the New York groove. <laughs> Here I am in the city with a fistful of dollars. Uh, I, I love that song. I, I love, I usually say I'm back, baby, and that's a reference to Seinfeld. You always oh. go, I'm back in the New York groove. It's like we, it's our thing that we just go back and forth with. What do you guys like more? Which reference do you like more? <laughs> or do you want us to mash them up? We're just going to mash them mash up. up. It's always, mashups are always the best. <laughs> Cut to Dr. Marissa Kendall talking to De- Detective David Madison in her office. She's in the middle of telling him that she works too. And because of this, she's behind on her classwork and the experiment she's running. David pushes back. My dear young woman, it's still out there. She says, they'll find it and your great white hunter will shoot it. And that'll be the end of it. He pushes back. And you're not curious how it got to be that size? Marissa says that she'll be there for the autopsy. Madison says he's putting some things together, and she's the only one that can tell him if the pieces fit. He gives her a smile, but then she, but then he sits on a water spray thing. So, you know, it's it's all cute and everything. Uh, 
Cut to Detective Kendall showing Madison a slide of the blood extracted from the oversized dog they found in the sewer. She says it's been bombarded with some sort of hormone derivative. David asks, what will that do? She says, in some cases, it will make little dogs into big dogs. She goes on, if they've been throwing test subjects down into the sewers for years, there's no telling what combination of hormones the alligator has been exposed to. Madison says, maybe he'll die of cancer. Cut to Chief Clark and Colonel Brock, along with a handful of patrolmen investigating an alleyway that's been completely destroyed. Trash cans and dumpsters have been overturned, and there's trash everywhere. Colonel Brock finds a huge pile of alligator shit. We cut to a news reporter telling residents to be careful that the alligator is still at large. We see a helicopter fly over a suburban neighborhood. There's a top-down shot of all the houses with pools in their backyards. The camera goes back down to ground level, and we see Ramon is in one of the pools, but he's hidden by pool toys and leaves. He's just chilling like a villain. Ramon! <laughs> At Slade Pharmaceuticals, Dr. Kendall and Detective Madison are talking to Arthur Helms about the hormones they are testing. They are experimenting on a calf that's almost the size of a fully grown cow. The scientist says, the world has a food shortage problem. We're trying to do something about that. Oh, interesting. Uh, kind of timely, right? Marissa asks about a synthetic testosterone they developed and asks why it didn't go to market. The side effect was that it gave the subject an insatiable appetite. Arthur says he has a lot of work to, go, to do, so if they have any more questions, Madison says, Yeah, what would Slade Pharmaceuticals pay for a hot lobsa opsa? Lop Whatever the fuck it's called. <laughs> Whatever the Lop, fuck that fucking breed is called. Lop chong, that, uh, that, that Chinese sausage. It's delicious. <laughs> I, I eat it up daily. Oh, I love lop Anybody got any scrapple? <laughs> Have you ever had lop chong, by the way? It's delicious. Uh, I just I just love your lopsopsu. Lopsopsu. Because, guys, I, so I'll feed. Zach doesn't have a script or anything, so I'll just kind of feed him the lines and I'll trim it so you guys won't hear me talking. But I just love how he, just, he didn't even fucking care. He's like, lopsopsu. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. One take. Nailed it. One take, Johnny. <laughs> love it. You know how you make a hormone? After you have sex with her, tell her you can't pay her. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love your I love your fucking Chicago accent. <laughs> Cut to Arthur standing next to Slade in his office as the older man calls the mayor to complain about Detective Madison. At the police station, Madison chases down the chief to tell him his theory that Slade and his cronies are involved. The chief just looks at him and says, I'll need your shield. David, you're off the force. You push too far. <laughs> but but he's not wrong though. But, but we get it. It's the whole point, you know, to have politics, yada, yada, yada. Politics, yada, yada, yada. David protests, but the chief walks away. A poor, poor, a poor patrolman walks up to Madison and hands him a paper and asks, homicide? David says, not anymore, and walks away. After David cleans out his locker, he sneaks into the evidence room and grabs the fake bomb the guy used earlier and a stick of dynamite that just happens to be in evidence also. And by the way, you can't fuck with dynamite, man. It has to be dry and in a cold, dry place because I think if it gets damp, it becomes volatile. 
Well, as as we'll as we'll discuss in a future uh, episode of something on Patreon, yeah, dynamite is like a you know apparently these these directors think that you just like that's the Warner Brothers cartoon. Just grab a stick of dynamite and shove it in a box, and suddenly you know how to make a bomb. Doctors know how to make bombs. Detectives know Detectives, how to make bombs. You know, it's a stick of dynamite. How hard can it be? You light the thing, and then boom, boom, boom. It reminds me of I can't remember if it was in the comic book of the tick or the cartoon but he always says I'm nigh invulnerable I'm only vulnerable to whatever the plot calls for and I feel like dynamite sticks of dynamite are just there for whatever the plot calls for yeah no wonder kids in the 80s thought like oh I'm gonna blow shit up <laughs> because it just is so easy it's no not, one gets hurt no one gets hurt no one blows their fingers off or anything no God, I remember seeing a Maury Povich episode where they had people like who who survived from explosions. Oh, like like firecracker explosions or like yeah, actual war- big explosions, like M eighties firecrackers, and 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 one and like people who tried to commit suicide but it didn't work. They still lived. One guy tried to blow his face off, and half his face was gone, but he was still alive. And he's like. I've learned to accept my life and I love my life. It was horrible. It was horrible. It was like, oh my God, poor guy. But yeah, it was basically it was like missing one cheek. Oof. Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. Maury Povich. Maury Povich. <laughs> I liked it better when he was doing You Are Not the Father. I know. What? Another another reason why our, our society's gone down a hellhole. <laughs> shows like that shows like that (laughs) yep even though we both watched it but yeah yeah pretty much yeah yeah yep yep cut to david talking to marissa in her lab he says he says he got canned i got canned (laughs) again zach does a much better job i like apparently i like when you do it (laughs) apparently they stopped on the wrong apparently they stepped on the wrong toes she asks how he feels he says he's always worried that they were going to. He says he was always worried that he was going to get fired. And now that it's happened, he feels wonderful. Marissa asks what he's going to do now. And David says, go out there. I'm going to find that alligator. Kick its ass. He does a really cool key flip grab thing. Did you, did you notice that? Yeah. Like he grabs it behind his back type of thing. I like that. Yeah, he's cool. He's I'm a cool guy. He's cool. I do the thing. It's like Harvey Keitel snapping his fingers on the uh, lighter in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, dude. I, I, well, I picked that up with a Zippo um, uh, from Out of Sight. Uh, his nervous tick in that was uh, flipping the, the Zippo to where you kind of pop it yep. open. And I learned how to do that because I was a smoker back in the day. But I'm telling you, man, it took me a solid like few days of like trying it and having the Zippo like fly past my head and everything. But I got to the point where I can fucking do it and then... Do the fucking light, you know, light the zip on your leg or something. Yeah. yeah. I miss smoking. <laughs> no, you don't. I don't, but I do also. But I don't because I did take a drag off of my sister-in-law's cigarette like three years ago. And it fucking, I hated it. And I was like, oh, good. I never want a fucking cigarette ever again. Good for you. Good for you, Jack. <laughs> a lot of Seinfeld references this episode for some reason. No, There's no Seinfeld connection, but yet, yet, here we are. 
They put an alligator in the sewer. <laughs> perfect. I'm not even going to elaborate. Fucking perfect. Uh, and I, I love how she's clearly turned on by this. And she says, when do we start? She's so into it. She's so into it because it's one of those things where it's like she's into him because the script makes her be into him. She would never be into him. No. He's like twice her age, and he's an asshole to her most of the movie. Cut to David, Marissa, and the sewer working worker, Callan, from the beginning of the movie, are walking through the sewers. David is making small talk by asking Marissa about previous boyfriends. They eventually make it to Ramon's lair, where the shopping cart you know, is obstructing the water and Gutchell died. David tells them to split up and look for anything that doesn't belong there. Marissa adds they are looking for alligator nestings. They all split up and Dr. Kendall eventually finds a dead dog in a pipe. She screams and everyone comes running. Once she composes herself, she says, I'd venture to say there are other animals stashed around here too. I think this is his own base. Madison asks if Ramon will come back here. Kendall says uh, if he can get back in the sewers, it, it will surely try. Callan says, fuck this, and exit stage right, even. Cut to the mayor talking to Slade about putting up the money for a reward for the capture of the alligator. Slade says he'll take care of it. They're in his, they're in his rich backyard, and a wedding is being set up for the next day. Slade tells the mayor they have four products right now tied up in the food and drug approval process. There's a lot of politics involved with that, and if any of this got out, it would mean big trouble for all of them, including the mayor. Slate introduces the mayor to his future son-in-law, Arthur Hill, which is weird because his IMDb credits him as Arthur Helms, but the subtitle lists him as Arthur Hill. Did you notice that? I didn't notice the difference, but I definitely had the subtitles on and saw Hill. Yeah. Yeah, and, and by the, the way, Slade is not a good name for the villain. No. Slade's it's not a good name. No. It it, it remind it's like a cop name or it's like a action guy name. Yeah. Should have been like like I don't know. I don't know. Something generic, you know. Slade's too cool for that. Slade is too cool. It's the name of a cool rock band too. It should it should be like S- S- Madison should be Slade and and Madison should be Madison Pharmaceuticals and Slade should be Robert Madison Forster. Pharmaceuticals makes much more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Are you playing with Fozzie? I am. Um, no. Come here. You come here. So cute. I was wondering where they, where he was. Yeah. She normally, she comes up, she does this thing in the morning. She wants me to, uh, she, she lays at her. If, if we, if we don't let her sleep on the bed at night, she'll stay outside the door and she'll wait by the door for me to wake up at six to feed her. Yeah. If she sleeps on the bed at night, when she's, when I start stirring around six, she'll put her paw on me to like basically wake me up, but then she'll put her head down to let me sleep. Like if I turn and look at her, like she's so such a, such a smart dog. So, so sweet. She's the best. You're the best. Well, I hope she sleeps with me whenever I come to visit. Oh, she will. She will. She'll want to sleep up here with you. That's fantastic. I'm all for that. Um, then he says, Arthur is his number one boy, almost kind of like Joker saying about Bob being his number one guy. So it's weird because you don't really get the sense of it right now, but Arthur's also going to be his son-in-law soon. He, it's his wedding also. 
yeah, it's it's a kind of a surprise. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, that was not expected. Yeah. Cut to David bringing Marissa to his apartment. He introduces his dog Snaps to her, which I which is also weird because that was the name of the dog that got snatched from the store earlier that he was talking about. So I was like, I didn't pick up on that either until this viewing while I was taking notes and I had subtitles on. And I was like, Snaps, isn't that the name of the one that got fucking absconded with? Yeah. Okay, sure. I guess he's not a clever guy. He feeds Snaps again. He's also not a good dog owner. He feeds Snaps some corned beef hash. <laughs> Was that uh, the uh, corn corn beef from a can? Yeah, <laughs> like Terry, Terry Bro Sh- Shiplow. Terry Bro Shiplow. Yes, yeah, fucking check it out. <laughs> I can't believe chip chip beef chip beef. <laughs> That's what it was. I Ugh, chipped beef. I can't believe that guy was fucking the voice of what whatever from from um, uh, Power Rangers, and he was also in the Blob remake. We I talked know, about him then dude. too. It's so weird. I told you this too. The uh, the the one guy who has the puppets on check it out. Yeah, he's he's on Third Street Promenade, always singing, dude. And you're like. You have to, you can't just pony up and sit on Third Street Promenade for, for, you know, you have to like reserve a spot, cost money. So weird. Dude. So weird, dude. If he's there when I'm visiting and, and, and we were walking around, I want to get a picture with him. Oh, hells yeah. So, so he feeds fucking the poor dog corned beef hash while Marissa calls her mom, tells her she'll be late tonight. Her mom says it's a school night and she has homework. Clearly, clearly the mom has, you know, mild dementia or something. Cut to my favorite fucking scene in this entire fucking movie. It's a kid's birthday party at night. <laughs> this is great. It's fucking great. Two 12-year-old boys dressed like pirates drag a smaller eh, 9 or 10-year-old kid out to the pool and make him walk the plank aka the diving board typical 80s asshole kids yup they walk the kid out to the edge of the diving board and even though the boy is blindfolded he looks down into the lit pool and sees the alligator underwater with its mouth open he screams as the other two boys push him in and ramon eats him whole it's fantastic. And the kids are like, I'm just going to walk away slowly. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. We see blood in the pool and everything. But, dude, only in 1980 can you watch a fucking nine-year-old kid. Then there's a shot of him in the pool getting eaten. You see it. And this is not like fucking the Kittner kid getting rolled over in Jaws, which is still one of my favorite scenes because I love seeing the dorsal fin roll, you know. But this, you see him go into the creature's jaws. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, it's it's horrible. It's one of the few sympathetic deaths in the film where you're like, no, poor kid. And, you know, like... At some point in the 80s, I don't know if it's around 85 or so, we stopped seeing kids getting killed this sort of brutally, you know? Yeah, there was like a, like a, what do you call it, moratorium put on. I don't know if it was intentional or not. I'm sure it was. You know, just just like, just speaking of smoking earlier, just like they were, you know, they banned smoking from movies. We can't have, we can't show people smoking because it encourages young people to smoke. Oh, really? Just like uh, heavy metal music forces, you know, kids to go out and kill people and worship Satan. Like, 
really. As someone who started smoking cigarettes in high school because I thought Chow Yun Fat was the coolest guy in the whole world, I'm not. I am the example. You know what I mean? Yeah, Honestly, no, and, I, look, I, and truthfully, I mean, as far as like giving an actor business in a movie, nothing is cooler than smoking. I well, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, things influence, and this is this is coming from a guy too who's heavily influenced by things that he sees on TV. I get it. I get it. But still, the characters, uh, you know, if a character is a smoker, he's a smoker. Like, who cares? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whatever. No, I, you're right. It shouldn't be the movie's responsibility to, to not portray that. It should be the parents teaching the kid how, how bad smoking is. Exactly. And, you know, if you're going to have a kid get... Um, harmed in some way uh, it is what it is sometimes kids get eaten by alligators in the pool it happens yeah it happens in florida <laughs> yeah and missouri apparently apparently cut back to david's apartment and marissa just got out of the shower she's and then wearing david his comes down and goes this is where i used to live <laughs> my old apartment <laughs> I was not <laughs> expecting that, but uh, good one. Good one, buddy. No, I'm, I like Bare Naked Ladies back in the day. That's a, I love that song. Yeah, it's a good fucking song, man. Actually, that whole album I thought was really good. Um, haven't listened yeah. to it in years, but I had that it. That song was on uh, 90210. <laughs> oh, man. I used to watch that show back in the day, too. And uh, was it Pacific Heights, man? How Pacific do you Heights. talk? To an angel. No, in, in, the, in the the Heights. Oh, the, the heights. heights. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Pacific yeah. Heights was a movie, right? Pacific Heights was the movie with Michael Keaton and Melanie Griffith and um, uh, what's-his-face from uh, Stranger Things and Vision Quest, Matthew Modine. Yes. And then... And Beverly D'Angelo in a small role. And then Pacific Blue was uh, with um, Alec Baldwin on the cover with a, a cop with a gun or something like that. No, that's Miami Blue. Miami Blue, that's right. Yes. Pacific Blue, I feel like, could have been a TV show. That might have been the one with Rick Rosovich where they were the bicyclists in Venice. Jesus, man. You're like cops. A, you're, you are IMDb. You're like a walking fucking IMDb. Uh. This is where I used to live. <laughs> My brother used to sing, the, you know, that uh, the Chickity China one? The Chickity China, the Chinese chicken? Yeah. He'd yeah. make up his own lyrics. He'd go, Chicky to China, the Chinese chicken. Pinch your foreskin and your dick will thicken. Watching X Files with my pants down. My butt is brown. I drink whiskey downtown. And I'm like, what? You what? What is that? <laughs> is this Sean or this is Eric? Yeah, I figured. Yeah. Oh, where the fuck was I? <laughs> Sorry, okay. the kid just got eaten, and we ran on a tangent. Everybody's like, God, this is. My favorite movie just got ruined again by Chickeny China and the Chinese chicken. And the bare naked ladies. <laughs> Shout out to all our Canadian listeners. Eh? And of course, like, she didn't even dry her hair off. So, like, her shoulders, the sweatshirt's, like, all, like, wet and everything, you know? Like, drenched wet. But, uh, you know, I guess she didn't want to smell like sewer over there. But, um, he says. When he met her, he thought she would be one of those tight asses. And then Marissa says, when I met you, I thought you'd be one of those people whose apartments looked like this. Uh, he That's la- funny. That was a funny line. Yeah, it was. He laughs and says one day he'll shovel it all out. Then David sits down on the couch next to her and he says, We're going to go to dinner now, right? 
All the while, I'm going to be wondering whether or not you're going to be coming back and spending the night with me. She says, oh? David goes on, that's not exactly an answer. See, if I'm going to eat food and I'm worrying about a yes or no, it sort of hyper excites my metabolic rate. She cuts him off by kissing him. David says, can I take that as a definitive yes? Marissa says, (laughs) yes. He's got no game, dude. You're telling me I got game? No. No. You're telling me I don't have game? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Cut to Colonel Brock walking out of a convenience store at night. He has a six-pack with him, and he gives one beer to each of three kids he's talking to. He wants them to be his guides in the city. You guys know the neighborhood. Every expedition needs its bearers, its native guides. He promises to pay them each $10 a day. One kid asks for 20 and Brock laughs and agrees. Cut back to David's apartment, and he's telling Marissa what happened at the Baldwin Hotel while they're both in bed. And before we talk about the dialogue, I guess they had sex before dinner, I guess? I mean, do you blame him? No. It's always better to have sex before dinner, at least, especially like when you're early on in the sex game. Yeah, uh, don't be like Hulk Hogan and... Go over to Bubble Love Sponge's house and have sex with his wife and have it videotaped and then complain about how he had sushi, brother. God. Geez. I didn't make that. I didn't I didn't agree to make a tape. Yeah. What, really? Okay. You, you had no idea that was happening. That was a low point for old Thunderlips, wasn't oh, it? Man. That was the that was the beginning of the end of of. Yeah. Again, another guy. 80s Hogan. Give me 80s Hogan any day. I love 80s Hogan. Now, Hogan? Nope. Pass. Sometimes you live long enough to become the the villain, right? Yep. Your heroes can't always be cowboys. Uh, did you ever like um what Hollywood Hogan with the 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 black beard? I the... did. I mean, it was fine. It was cool. It was a cool angle, like that he became a heel and uh, like what he what you know when he became a he was such a baby face, right? And then suddenly, like, turned. It was huge. It was huge. But then it became so ridiculous at that point, you know, with him playing air guitar every time he came out to the ring. It wasn't cool anymore. When he turned heel, it was cool. It was like, oh, my gosh. Hulk Hogan's turning heel. This is huge. Fans are throwing trash in the ring, you know. But then it just got played out, tired. Like everything. And he had his match against The Rock, and you're like, dude, but you're looking at Hogan with this, like, fake ble- uh, bad dye job beard. Like, it doesn't look cool. Yeah. It's not sexy, Jack. It's not sexy, Jack. Yeah. Well. Did you? Did you like Hogan back then? I mean, I liked 80s Hogan, and I I, I thought that, what, was that NWO? Was that New World Order yeah, Hogan? New, New World Order. Yeah. I mean, I liked that. I liked that era. Um, I also like Razor Ramon and stuff like that, but ultimately I'd still always take eighties Hogan over anything yeah. else. You know, I like when a faction comes in and like shakes things up, yeah. you know, and it's like, Oh my gosh, carnage, what's going on? And everybody's like thrown for a loop. But then it became like, it was like 15 members in the group yeah. and it just became over the top and just kept, keep it simple. You know, it was like four guys X- dominating X Pac and fucking, uh, like Brock, I don't know, was Brock Lesnar or Sid Vicious was fucking in it, and like it was, just, yeah, it was too fucking big. They brought everybody in with the rotate, and then yeah, it just became over the top. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, okay, you know the reason we can rewatch movies over and over and over again, 
and we can also rewatch wrestling from the eighties over and over and over again. You're not wrong. You're not wrong, buddy. Again, go check out Territory Marks on Two Dollar Lafey. It's a great show if you guys like wrestling. All right, buddy. We got a lot of dialogue for you, so I'm going to feed it to you. So remember, so he's telling telling Marissa about uh, the Baldwin Hotel incident. I was looking at the guest book, checking the license plate numbers. This guy comes up behind me, sticks this thing in the back of my neck, tells me he's going to blow my brains out. Took my gun, gave it to someone else who was hiding. Made me lay on the desk, face down. I heard yelling upstairs, then the shots. The guy behind me ran. I couldn't move. It's like my legs were gone. When I finally turned around, Jerry was coming down the stairs. He was dying. Marissa says, they had a gun on you. He had a roll of pennies it took out of the cash box. The only gun they had was mine, the one they shot Jerry with. I froze. There's a heavy penalty in this life for fear. I like that line, by the way. I think that's cool. Don't tell Henry Rollins that. <laughs> what now? I don't know if I you get know that. that whole story about Henry Rollins. No, when he like basically, him and his buddy were like best of friends. He did a spoken word tour about it. Now they're best of friends, and then his he his buddy got shot one night, and he ran. They're at their house, and his friend got killed, and he like he could have been killed too, but he didn't. You know, he tells this harrowing story. It's horrible. It's so sad because he Henry Rollins is such a great storyteller with his spoken word stuff, and and it, it's so it's so tragic that he his friend he lost his friend. His friend got shot and killed. It's like his best friend in the world that he lived with or something. And anyways, that's I I feel like I've I've heard shades of that. I've was never a big Henry Rollins fan. I think sadly. I probably know him more as an actor than I do as a musician. Uh, was it was he the lead singer for Black Flag? Is that what Black Flag and then Rollins Band? But yeah, he had his, he did a spoken word tour for many years as well. Poet too, and my brother was super. My brother and I both were really into his stuff. Yeah, he's one of those guys where even though like I'm not, I was probably never into his music and stuff. I do understand that he's 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 like like his place in like music history and also like his sort of intellectual level. He's like, he's a bit higher up there and everything. Yeah. He's a fascinating dude. I love that guy. That's cool, man. That's, that's awesome. Anyways, that story was sad, but yeah. So when he's telling that story, it's like, it's interesting because it's like such a heavy, heavy story for him to tell. But then you're also, but then also, but it's like this film has an interesting vibe to it because it's kind of campy intentionally. Yeah. And then hits you with this really dramatic story, and you're like, damn, dude. Yeah. And, yeah, he's not like the infallible cop. You know, he is very fallible. And that's what actually, I think, makes uh, Robert Forster's character interesting in this movie. Sure. And it takes an interesting turn here, because Marissa, as she's playing with his hair, she says, you can't blame yourself for surviving. But as she's sort of playing with the front of his hair, the sort of the bald spot, David looks up and asks what she's doing. She takes her hand away, and she's uh, and he says, Look, I'm fighting male pattern baldness. I'm a little sensitive on the subject, and I hope you don't mention it again. They both laugh. End scene. <laughs> weird. Weird. Like, what? It's weird. I know. I mean, it's it's so weird. I, it's his thing, though. It's Robert Forrester's thing, man. It's and I'm sure, I, in my mind, I'm like, I'm sure people. he's like, you know, people are going to relate to this. This is like something, and then yeah, maybe it's true. Yeah, but it's interesting. 
what I don't relate to is someone who has the same hair pattern as as him. Not Zach, by the way. If you guys don't know what we look like, Zach has a very thick, full head of hair. Um, I shave mine down to like a number two, but you can see, Zach, I clearly have the same sort of pattern as him. But here's the thing. No one's ever like looked at me and said, oh, you know, like a bald guy says, oh, we're the same. We have the same thing going on. It's like, what? No one's ever said anything like that to me. Yeah, that pet store owner is such a weirdo. So creepy. <laughs> He's like, you and me, we're the same. Rob Forster's like, we are not the same at all. People who want to be BFFs with you say shit like that. Yes. I think I think that guy wanted to be BFFs mm-hmm. or, or butt Fs with uh... – <laughs> Back in the city, Colonel Brock and his men are walking down uh, an alley that one of his men says people have heard heavy breathing coming out of it. They call it Booger Alley, which I think is fucking cool because Booger's like this old term, like old school term for like something spooky and everything. Um, and back in the day, dude, a lot of times it's going to be weird, but like. Sasquatch shit is all over the all over America, but people always think yes. that Sasquatch and Bigfoot are only in the Pacific Northwest. But when you start like actually digging into like local areas and stuff like that, you'll find out like, oh, we, they call them the you know the the Lake Booger or something like that, and and you know bo- or something Booger, and you just find out like, oh, it's probably a Sasquatch or something because yeah. there was no unified term you know back probably before the eighties and everything. But I right. like the term Booger. Because it's always like a, it's kind of a southern thing. It's kind of like an old school style of like saying like something spooky, something is scary, you know. So I yeah, like how this I've is called Booger Alley. Never heard that before. I listen to a lot of Sasquatch uh, podcasts, and I don't. So I was like, Are there a bunch of boogers in there? Man? <laughs> boogers in your nose, magic nose goblins. That's a that's a, a Ren and Stimpy reference. It is. Picking Boogers is a Bismarcky song. <laughs> yeah, dude. Oh, big rips to Bismarcky, man. Uh, so Colonel Brock readies his rifle. Oh, sorry. Hold on a second. Go back a little bit. Booger Alley. Brock asks where it leads to, and one of the kids says out to the railroad tracks. Colonel Brock readies his rifle and takes a swig from his Jack Daniels. He tells the boys to follow him, but they say no. Not in this jungle. They say, we'll see you on the other side. Brock says, no backbone, must be the environment, then heads into Booger Alley. The lead kid who gets $20 a day decides to follow Brock in. The two slowly make their way into the dark alley. We see a shot of Ramon the Alligator watching from beneath a pile of trash. Brock is startled by a cat knocking over a trash can, but then hears a growl and sees Ramon's shadow from around the corner. The great white hunter ventures deeper into the alley and approaches a pile of trash. Just then, Ramon pops out and Brock fires his rifle. We hear Colonel Brock yelling as the kid, as the lead kid, rounds the corner to see the man inside the jaws of Ramon. The kid grabs the gun while Brock yells, pull me out, pull me out. But the gun is jammed and the kid runs away. Brock screams as he's eaten whole. It's cool. It's a it's a pretty cool looking death. He get he gets the most kind of munch time because it kind of like every bite kind of pulls him in further and he's trying to resist it to the point where, yeah. he, you know, he just is pretty much gets eaten fucking whole. Yeah, it's it's a horrible death. It's a horrible death. There's only been one hunter in a movie that I wished hadn't gotten killed. That was 
Simon McCorkendale from Manimal, who was in uh, Jaws 3. Yep. I liked him so much in Jaws 3. And then he, you remember he's like half digested in, in Jaws, still has the grenade in his yep. mouth. Yep. And so, you know, bummer. I love that dude, by the way. Yeah, no, I, 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 I do too. We talked about Manimal on TV Obscura. Um, that movie's burned in my brain. I saw that in the theater as a kid, and it, it kind of traumatized me a little bit. Um, Just, yeah. And, and he was one of it. Like, I agree. Same as you, especially as a kid, too, because you think he's going to survive because he seems cool. He's got that look and everything. Um, and then but also, like, he doesn't get eaten. So he's like just kind of dead inside the thing's mouth. You know, I always thought that was I always thought that was very morbid. Yeah, I, I got to revisit that. I'm, I know um, Aaron Gilmer talked about it on her podcast, Manic Movie Monday podcast, I think. Right. Didn't she do a Jaws three episode? I think think so but i also know that uh tim from talking back unabashedly loves that one um oh, i mean he's aware of it's not a great movie but he loves it though uh, i want to revisit it it's been a while i and been i was a while. Like, it's been a while i always like jaws 2 as well i would like to revisit jaws I mean, 2 is good I, i've seen jaws 1 i watch it you know every fucking year you know summertime but i'd like to revisit jaws 2 and 3 again because i don't Jaws 2 is hilarious because the opening shot of that woman who grabs a uh, fuel can and accidentally quote-unquote dumps it all over herself and then sets herself on fire oops this kind of ties into what we're talking about here alligator people getting eaten in jaws 2 the the death that disturbed me the most was the babysitter who helped the little who's helping the little kid up on the boat and then she just gets eaten fucking whole by jaws and as a kid i was like she didn't deserve that you know yeah i'm not a fan of people who die in movies that don't deserve it (laughs) in those kind of settings you know where it's like it's or or how about this they don't deserve a high level of horrific death for being good you know yeah or something yeah yeah exactly side note uh part two the 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 new meg movie that's coming out this summer looks phenomenal oh buddy i dude i will want to see that opening night Dude, I I love the first Meg movie because I love shark movies. I just picked up a, a used copy of The Shallows for five dollars, uh, which is a great shark movie if you've cool. ever seen it. Um, with uh, what's her name? Uh, did you ever see The Shallows? I saw uh, pieces of it on TV one night. It's good. I I recommend it. It is good. But dude, Ben Wheatley is directing um um the Meg yeah. two. And I've never seen it, but everyone says the uh, kill list is fan-fucking-tastic. Everyone says Free Fire is good and High Rise. Like, all of his fucking movies are good. But I have seen, uh, in 2021, he did this movie called In the Earth um, about... It's a weird horror-thriller thing about people trying to communicate with mushrooms and it's it's weird and i just found his 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 style to be so interesting and he makes these weird quirky movies and then he's doing the meg too you know it's like i love it yeah i love it me too i hope i hope he i mean from the what i saw in the trailer the trailer looks crazy good so bring it on yeah man i'm i'm with you buddy i'll be right there with you all right guys and gals we're getting close to the end of this thing so We'll barrel through. At the Chinese restaurant, David and Marissa are eating dinner. He's talking about how he studied history and psychology in college, then decided to become a cop. 
It's what he always wanted to be. Just then, two beat cops walk in and say hi to Madison. He asks how they're doing. I thought you guys would be out beating the bush with Jungle Jim. One of the cops says they just scraped him up over at Marquette Street. The other cop says there wasn't much left of him. We're pulling double duty looking for this damned animal. David and Marissa look shaken. He says, It's his own damn fault. She says, I understand how you must feel. David, like, sort of looks at her and shoots back. Hey, don't understand me so quick. She is clearly hurt and gets up to leave. Dick yeah. move. Yeah. And she's kind of leaning on his shoulder. After he says it, he kind of looks at her, like, get off my shoulder type of thing. It's yeah, a- he, they they clearly are, like, now a couple. You know, she's into him, and he's into her. And then he totally just, like, got, the guy has repressed anger issues, you know. Yeah, it's it's like he doesn't know how to, like, like yeah, you're right. It's just repressed anger stuff, and it's clearly someone who's probably hasn't been in an actual relationship in a in long trauma. time. Yeah. She's clearly hurt and gets up to leave. She gives David money for her half of the dinner, and he just says, Your mom will be waiting. <laughs> what a dick. What a dick. Dude. She's, like, wearing his sweatshirt, you know, and she's 17. He's, like, 47, you know, so she's an interesting, quirky character mm-hmm. and cool. She's cool. She's a cool character. And he has his moments where you're like, no, you're not a good guy. Mm-mm. This is one of them. Agreed. Cut to a nightmare David is having about Kelly getting eaten in the sewers. It's got kind of like a cool filter on it, and they do a good job with taking the same footage but reversing it. I, I think yeah. it's done well. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. For a 1980. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we see David wake up in, in a sweat. Cut to David at Marissa's house early in the morning. Her mom is making coffee and talking nonsense. David is nice to the mom and plays along. I like her evil eye bit. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Marissa comes into the kitchen in her bathrobe and says, good morning to David. Madison says he came to apologize. What for? You name it, I apologize for it. And I'm going to call bullshit. That's a cop out. If someone comes to you and says, I, I want to apologize, what for? Well, you tell me what I'm apologizing. You, do- you don't know what you're apologizing for. I think that's even, I think that's a dick move too. I also, yeah, I and I want to piggyback on that. When people say, you know, I'm sorry if what I said offended you. Yeah. Because that's, that's not them apologizing. It's putting it's- it on the other person. Yeah, it's basically saying that you're the problem, yes. not me. Yes. But that happens all the time when people say, I'm sorry if what I said offended you. Yeah. Not, I'm sorry what I said was offensive, and I'm sorry. There's a yeah. major difference. Exactly. And that was the vibe I was getting from his apology here. Yeah. But since this is a movie and Marissa is written to have no uh, – no self-esteem. Uh, they go up to her room, and she asks what David needs from her. He throws her on the bed and says, What does anyone need anybody for? You're the country's leading herpetologist. You have a wonderful mind, a doctorate degree, and beautiful tits. <laughs> I'm just glad I got to make you say that. <laughs> the character said that, not me. <laughs> true. Very true. Marissa says to isolate that one, guys. Marissa says she finds this all very confusing. David says, I know I'm a pain in the ass sometimes, but anything worth having is going to be trouble, like a 68 Chevy Nova. (laughs) 
That is, unless you want to go live with the turtles. Are you going to come with me? She says, we'll see, and then they kiss. No, Mm. not anything worth having is worth the trouble. No, you don't have to be an asshole. Toxic relationship. (laughs) Toxic relationship. (laughs) Hey, here we go again. Toxic relationship. Cut to later that morning, and Marissa and David are getting into their car. It's it's light out now. Um, and it, she has, like, a pickup truck or something. Oh, this is a funny scene. <laughs> she says, The sightings indicate he's been moving east. If he continues in that direction, he's going to hit the canal. If we wait downstream, he's going to come right to us. David asks, then what happens? And she says, I could bring my mother. She could talk him to death. Cut to Chief Clark yelling into his police cruiser's mic, saying he doesn't want to talk to Madison. Things are crazy enough as they are. He hangs up the mic and looks behind him and sees three officers looking for the giant alligator in the bushes. And I like how he's just like, damn it, he's not in the bushes. <laughs> we cut to Marissa driving her pickup truck while David reads a map. I see we got a lock in the canal here about a mile above the river. Marissa says... But if the lock's closed, he might leave the river. David asks, what will he do if he gets out? She says that depends on what's in his way. Cut to two officers and a SWAT team guy in a boat on the canal. They spot Ramon and give chase with another boat full of cops in pursuit. Both boats try to shoot the alligator, but it dives under the water to avoid the attackers. The cops lose him for a second. The first boat spots Ramon again, and they go after him. One of the cops grabs a grenade out of the box and removes the pen. The giant alligator dives, then resurfaces right in front of the police speedboat, sending two men into the drink and the guy with the grenade crashing into the shore. The (laughs) boat blows up from the grenades. Then Ramon eats one of the swimming cops and goes after the other one. He screams for the second boat to help him, and as they pull him on... And as they pull him out of the water, Ramon eats off both of his legs. When was the last time you've seen Lake Placid? Um, when it came out. Okay. Did they do this scene in Lake Placid? Sort of, when there's a scuba diver at the beginning, and then, you know, he's, like, getting attacked, and the cop pulls him out of the water, or someone pulls him out of the water, and he's, like, eaten in half, essentially. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I think, I mean, Lake Placid owes a lot to this movie. Oh, for sure. But a fun scene, but also, like, it's funny because, like, the action in this movie is kind of cheesy, and, dude, I don't know if you could tell, but, like, clearly the the two cops and the boat are stunt guys, and one of the guys had horrible fucking teeth, and it's just, like, it's, like, yeah. it just, it felt, like, this feels like silliness, but then, you know, Robert Forrester stuff feels good, so tonally, sometimes this movie's all over the place, but I think it kind of adds to the charm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got, like, great actors in a real B, C-level movie. You're right. I think that's the easiest way to describe it. This movie is a C-level movie, but it becomes better than it ever should be because of the actors and the writer, you know, is actually putting in some, like, good shit for actors to do here. It reminds me a little bit of what they did, like, with that Piranha Double D or whatever. The, yeah, yeah. The first one Which was much better. Wasn't than the that one. bad actually? The remake yeah. of Piranha. Um, and had a great Adam Scott. I think is in that. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. But but like Richard Dreyfus before he went to Cuckoo Train and Christopher Lloyd is in it too. I think. Yeah the fir- the first 
Piranha Remake is a good one. The second one, the Double D one, is fucking terrible. But the first one yeah. is good. Yeah. Chief Clark is in his car speeding down the road, asking Dispatch where the creature is now. They tell him a mile and a half up the river. He tells Dispatch to get every unit available to the Slade Mansion. Back in the canal, Dr. Kendall is asking one of the policemen which way Ramon went. He says it walked about down there about 200 yards. Just then, David comes in and whisks her back to the truck. He knows where the alligator is heading, right to Slade Mansion. Cut to Slade Mansion, and the wedding is in full swing. There are rich old people and hired help all over the place, dressed up and ready to be served to Ramon. There's a band playing, and Arthur and his bride are cutting the cake. Old man Slade is trying to impress a young lady with a stupid story and gets get, and keeps getting pissed at the mayor when he inter- interrupts him. It's a funny little dialogue scene. Yeah, because he's like explaining how to uh, basically barbecue or something like that and like how to how to get the hickory chips just right, which which is an art form. I understand people do really like take pride in that, how to barbecue properly. But the mayor is such a suck ass, like watching him and like commenting, constantly commenting. And it's my favorite scene in the movie because it's so silly and it's so intentionally silly. It's not it's not meant to be serious. It's and Slade looks so annoyed. It's really funny. funny Slade Slade keeps like fucking shooting ugly looks at him and everything, you know, Like I'm trying to pick up on this lady here. Yeah. (laughs) Just then, someone screams and point at and points at the woods behind the reception. Ramon is there, right behind some poor waiter. He roars and eats the young lady while people run in terror. Arthur and his bride look up with cake on their faces. Security guards try to shoot Ramon while others take Slade to his limo. The bride is knocked into the pool by people running away from the rampaging beast. We see Ramon use his massive tail to send guests and staff alike flying through the air. At the limo, Slade gets in the back and closes the door as the driver gets in the front. The mayor turns around to see Ramon eating Arthur. And that was something I couldn't pick up right away, but it is him. You can see the actor barely. It was bad directing. They should have had a good, like a pickup shot of the actor's face, but you don't really get to see him. But if you pause it, you can tell it is him. Yeah. And so I think it kind of loses that punch, like not knowing right away that it is him. I think it loses that sort of punch. And I I think they needed to do a pickup shot or two. But, you know, I think budget probably whatever. Yeah. Then when he turns around, the mayor, that is, uh, he can't get in the car. Slade locked it. Ramon walks over to the car and grabs the mayor in his jaws. And I love this. He then uses the mayor's head as a battering ram against the limo's window. Awesome. I love that. Slade yells for the driver to get them the hell out of there, but he's too shocked watching the mayor die. Ramon bashes the front of the car in with his tail, killing the driver, then goes to work killing Slade by destroying the limo with him in it. Dr. Kendall and Madison pull up in front of the gate of Slade Mansion, demanding to be let in. When security refuses, David pulls out his gun and changes their mind. The guard says he'll call the cops, and Marissa says, great, call them. Back at the wedding, it's nothing but chaos and dead bodies lying around. 
David and Marissa ask where the alligator went, and someone with a bloody face points out back. They go running into the woods. Now, this, like, attack scene is the climax of the movie and everything, and I wish there was a bit more gore. I wish there was a bit more people getting eaten, and I think that the director missed the mark with maybe making, like, I didn't want to see the hired help get eaten. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we want to see the the bad guys getting, and and we do. But like, the first person we see is some poor female waitress getting fucking straight eaten. And yeah, it's the image that everyone sort of knows from this movie. But at the same time, I'm like, I just wish it wasn't the hired help who makes fucking you know minimum wage. Like, you're gonna die in your job. Like that sucks. You know? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I just wish it was all rich people that got eaten. Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah, yeah. Eat the rich, baby. Eat the fucking rich. Tax the rich, god damn it. And and let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. David and Marissa come across two broken fences, and it leads them to a giant storm drain. She says he's heading back to the sewers. David says, And we know exactly where to find him. They run back to the wedding massacre. Now there are cops and ambulances all over the scene. Chief Clark yells for David as he and Marissa get in their truck and speed off. The bride is just standing there crying. I like how he's like, David, help! Help, David, help! And David's like, doesn't even say shit. Nope. Cut to David sliding a manhole cover off. All right. Let's say I give myself two minutes on the timer. Let the chief know where I'm coming up and make sure the manhole is clear. David climbs into the manhole and Marissa goes running back to the truck to meet him at the exit point. Down in the sewers, David ends up in Ramon's lair and hears a low growling come from, coming from the tunnel. He shoots at the alligator to get it to follow him. Ramon chases David to the part of the sewer with the methane gas pack pocket. Um, and there's some shots with a regular size alligator crawling through a small set, you know. It's cool. It's fine. David puts is on his gas. Is that a real alligator or is that stop motion? No, that was a real alligator just in a s- small set to look like a oh. sewer. Okay. Yeah. David puts on his gas mask and goes deeper into the sewer. The gas is so thick he can barely see, but finally makes it to the exit manhole. Ramon is moving through the gas as well, hunting his prey. David pulls out the makeshift time bomb, plants it on a pipe, and sets it for two minutes. Just then, Ramon's giant tail cuts through the gas and sends David flying through the air. He hits hard and loses his mask. David quickly recovers and scrambles up the ladder to the manhole, narrowly escaping Ramon's jaws. Up on the street, we see a trash truck by the manhole. As the cover starts to rise up, a car stops right on top of it. David is almost knocked down the ladder. He starts yelling to move the car, but no one hears him. Just then, Marissa pulls up in her truck and tells the old lady in the car to move. (laughs) The lady gives her lip. (laughs) <laughs> so Marissa shoves shoves her to the passenger side and reverses the car herself. David makes it out of the manhole just in time. A huge explosion goes off in the sewer and poor Ramon is blown in half while fireballs shoot out of every manhole in the area. Even a car that was parked is blown up. David and Marissa watch unscathed from someone's front lawn. They hug each other. Ah, poor Ramon got blown up. I know, it was inevitable. It was inevitable, but still sad because it's not his fault. A little time passes, and we see cops and onlookers on the street. David is sitting on the bumper of an ambulance getting patched up. 
Chief Clark walks over and says, you'll live, you'll live. <laughs> David asks if there's any sign of the alligator, but the chief says, only pieces. And I, I love David goes, you believe me now? No dream? The chief says, when did I ever doubt you? David pats him on the shoulder and says, I think I'm going to lock you up with her mother. And points to Marissa. Marissa laughs and they walk away, leaving the chief confused because clearly he doesn't get the joke. He's like, what? What? As they walk off into the sunset, David says, Think your mother would go for something like that? Yeah, she might. She goes for that increasingly high forehead look because the chief also is balding too. I think it runs in the family. And David kind of gives her a look. He gets the joke. They walk over to the manhole cover and look down into it. David says with his arm around Marissa, we got him. A firefighter closes the manhole and the screen goes to black. We fade into the sewer as the camera pans through it. A little baby alligator comes plopping down out of the drain like Ramon did at the beginning of the movie. Roll credits. Alligator 1980. So, in between, you only saw it once as a kid. Now you've seen it as an adult. Uh, what's your what's your verdict on this one, buddy? Oh, it's fun. It's it's schlocky horror. It's it's silly and not traumatic or overly dramatic. It's it's great. The pacing's fun. It's short. It's a it's a it's a it's a fun movie to watch with buddies and goof on it. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I completely agree with you, man. And that's why I watched it a shit ton as a kid, man. It, it's a good hang out with pals and, and watch it type of movie. But if you want to actually sit down and watch it for realsies, I think there's some meat on the bones to, you know, to enjoy some stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you liked this one, man. I, I, I wasn't quite sure how it was going to land for you, but I'm, I'm glad you dug it. No, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. We are on a roll of some interesting schlock. This is uh, we're rolling into a schlock month ish. Yeah. Yes. Your movie is going to. Yeah, we're. This is June, so we're rolling into Schlock Month. Yeah, you've you've got something very interesting coming up, and uh, if you want to know, you know what movies we're going to be doing next, go check out Wrap Up After Dark. As as Zach says, uh, we always announce it every single month. Um, you know, on on our Patreon exclusive show, Wrap Up After Dark, and uh, yeah, we got some we got some fun stuff coming ahead. We have a uh, um, you know Patreon picked movie. I'll be doing that next. Um, yep. by our pal Cam Sully. So uh, you know, again, go check out Wrap up if uh, if you want to get the early scoop um and also check out the carpenter factor if you want to hear zach and i go through every single john carpenter movie uh we don't break it down like we do this we have more of a freeform discussion but we do revisit movies that we've already discussed like the thing and prince of darkness and everything so it's it's been a lot of fun but also please go check out two dollar lay fee especially territory marks it's a great show and i'm that's someone who's not a wrestling fan. I, I'm, you know, but if you guys have listened to our TV Obscura wrestling episodes, you know that wrestling friends have always been in my life. So sort of through osmosis, I know things, but not a lot. And I'm learning a lot on Territory Marks. So can you give us um, maybe some hints as to what's coming in the future on, on that show? Well, uh, as if you don't know already, I'm joined by Paul London, who's a former... Uh, WWE wrestler, but current indie wrestler, actor as well. He's a wealth of knowledge. He was trained by Terry Funk. He's got stories about a lot of guys. 
in the territories that we celebrate from the 80s. He's he's an encyclopedia when it comes to the knowledge of, of the business, obviously. And he he's a great storyteller. Um, we're rolling. This is June. So this will be my birthday month. Uh, my, I don't know. I was going to pick one particular match, but then I was like, maybe not. I'm going deep into a particular territory from, uh, Texas. And if you know anything about Texas, you know that they have a long history of a particular organization down there. Uh, and, in a, in a, and you'll just, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now, but we always go interest i was doing like late 80s i'm going early to midnight early to mid 80s for this pick yeah it's gonna be and it's gonna feature somebody if it's who i think it is uh it's gonna feature somebody who went on to have an interesting career in the ww both of them went on to have interesting careers in the wwf which we don't talk about on the show we don't talk about wwf we only talk about the other territories okay okay and uh, like TV Obscura, that is a – like TV Obscura on the podcast after Dark Feed monthly, Territory Marks is a monthly show on the $2 late fee feed as well. So go- Yeah, it drops off – it drops a, the week after. We, we're usually biweekly on $2 late fee, but it drops the week after um, our interview episode for the month. Yes, yes. And our interview episode for the month – uh well you'll have to listen to the latest episode of two dollar late for you to find out it's a good one yeah there you go and we have some fun stuff planned uh for tv obscura next month we since, sure do since we don't announce we didn't announce it on wrap up we'll just say it here uh we're going to be doing our one of our singular episodes and we are going to be talking exclusively and fully about captain power a TV show that is near and dear to all of our hearts, and absolutely uh, very much looking forward to that. Which we're gonna do. We've we've done it before these singular shows, and uh, like we'll all each take an episode, you know, to sort of break down and discuss and and lead the discussion on that episode. But we'll be talking about Captain Power as a whole on the next uh, TV Obscure. So we hope you all check that out. Hope you all check out $2 late fee. Um, hope you all check out the Carpenter Factor. But of course, you know, if you can't afford Patreon, also $2 late fees Patreon as well. They have a great Patreon over there. I was just on uh, the, the monthly trivia show that is exclusive only to patrons. So I am a Patreon patron of $2 late fee. Um, but we know, we understand Times are tough. Money money is not easy to come by. So, um, you know, a free way to help out $2 Lay Fee and Podcasting After Dark, just tell your friends. Like, tell people, like, hey, text them an episode. Be like, I think you would like this episode. This, this episode's awesome, you know? Or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify yeah. or whatever. You know, there's plenty of free ways to help support the show. Uh, leave a comment on Instagram or Facebook or, eh, fuck Facebook. Leave a comment on Instagram, you know? So there's plenty of ways to help out both of our shows. And we know that we have a lot of cross-pollination. And, man, you, you guys are the real fucking heroes. The people who are fucking on both Patreons. Like, holy crap. Like, that's that's impressive. So they, they like you, Zach. Oh, he likes you, Burke. <laughs> but, Am uh, I the X Factor? I'm the X Factor, I suppose. No. <laughs> they just love content that's good. That's what they like. And, and upbeat and positive. I think we can say that uh, even though both shows are vastly different, I'd say one thing that, uh, that both of them have in common 
besides you, is that uh, Podcast After Dark and $2 Late Fee always try to be positive. We never try to be yeah. snarky. We're not snarky. We, we, we need more positivity in the world. Ted Lasso is not on TV anymore, so we got to have something to keep us upbeat and positive and put a smile on our face. Yeah, and, and snark is fucking easy, low-hanging fruit. You know, if you go, if you like fucking snarky shit, fine. Go watch Rift Tracks or some shit like that. But you know what's fucking hard? Giving nothing but love to a bad movie for three hours. That's hard. Yeah, find out on my breakdown. Uh, that's going to be hard. <laughs> I can't wait, man. I can't fucking wait. So thank you all so much for, for all your love and support uh, for both shows. We appreciate you so much. And as always, we'll get you on the dark side. I think that's the same one you probably did for Vigilante, too. I'm going to do. Okay, so uh, woo. Wait, let me do it this time. Oh, come on, Chief. Your your voice is like uh it's like cat litter in your shoe. It just it's super irritating. Come on, let me do it. Okay, go for it. We'll get you on the dark side. And Zach just fried his vocal cords. <laughs> My agent is gonna be so happy about that. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. everyone co-host Corey here i just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our patreon supporters without you podcasting after dark would not be possible if you would like to help the show grow please consider signing up at patreon.com podcasting after dark you can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon, or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us, and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth, being trapped alone with something not human, something always watching, something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide if you were haunted for seven winters alone? Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone, a dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.